Hello, and welcome to episode two. My name is Jacob. I'm going to be functionally your host today as we talk about the Paranormal Activity series. And, uh, whoo boy, what a series. So with us today <laughs> is the usual crew. We've got Eric. Hello, hello, hello. And we've got Nick. Hi, everybody. All right, so I hope you're ready for some spooky sounds and some uh, confusing continuity. <laughs> So back in, what was it, 2006, 2007 when this first came out? Uh, the first one was 2007. It, it was filmed before that, but the release date was 2007. Yeah, so in 2007, movie, a little movie came out called Paranormal Activity. And found footage had been out a little bit for a while there. Blair Witch is a, a common name. But this movie did something a little bit different than all the rest. It had still cameras. It had all this and that. And there really just wasn't a lot to it. It was basically about a couple getting haunted, and it was made for fifty bucks. The, the fifteen thousand, fifteen thousand, and the the director made it in his house. Yep, with no experience whatsoever. Nope. He's just like, you know what? I'm going to make a movie, kind of like we're doing. We're so, well, you know what? We're going to make a podcast. <laughs> Except he made a lot of money, and we haven't yet. So donate to something. We'll set up a link. It'll be great. You give us money. You'll love doing it. Hungry podcast yeah. So he, he shot it in his house. He got unknown actors, although he, he was trying to get an actress who was somewhat, not even an actress, a, a personality, the lady from, uh, what do you call Survivor. it? Survivor. The Survivor, yeah. who was also named Katie. So anyway, he made this movie and he shopped it around and I guess it took him two years. He didn't get any festival invites, nothing. He made it to one festival, which was Screamfest, and that's the only one it played at. And I think that was like a year and a half later or something like that. But then finally, somebody picked up on it, and he got distribution. There was a few you know, test showings, and then eventually it went wide, and it made something like a million times its budget. Yeah, it's, 193 it's, million was the final turn-in for it. Yeah. 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 In terms of return on investment, it's probably still the most profitable movie of all time. Yeah, yeah. when yeah. I looked it up, it was the most profitable. It was uh, Blair Witch was still up there. And when you talk about who, as far as it finding distribution, specifically the person who found it was actually Jason Bloom, who's probably going to come up in this podcast when we talk about Blumhouse Productions a bit, because there's still a big horror studio that's going on. But this was this franchise is kind of you know what, what Bloomhouse was built out of. Jason Bloom was actually working for Miramax back when the Blair Witch movie was being made and it was being shopped around and Miramax passed on it. Jason Bloom has now moved on, saw the paranormal activity, said, I'm not making that mistake again. And he convinced him to sign up and kind of worked on getting the rights for it. And then somehow it got in front of Spielberg. Yes. Who, and I, I wasn't quite sure how that happened, but he was the one that suggested the actual theatrical ending. Apparently, he was such a fan of it, like, like he had to actually stop watching it through the middle and take a break. He was too freaked out. Went to leave the room, and the door was locked from the inside and, and <laughs> had trouble getting out. And he was so freaked out about the experience that he wouldn't touch the DVD afterwards. He put a garbage bag over his hand. Oh, my and, God. And picked it up. And he was like, somebody dispose of this for me and also buy this. <laughs> and the original plan, as I understand it, was the studio wanted to reshoot it mm -hmm. with a budget. And then they went in front of test audiences. They, they, they got them to agree to at least one test audience. Let us put it in front of one test audience. And halfway through, people were leaving. And they were like, well, this ain't good. And then they talked to them. And people were leaving because they were too damn scared. Mm -hmm. 
which sounds apocryphal to me, but apparently it's true. <laughs> they tried a little bit of to to get a little bit of that old Blair Witch magic uh, with the marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they yeah. didn't invite the actors, or they guess they probably talked about inviting, but they weren't at the premiere. Well, no, they were dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one was one was at large. Oh, that's true. Um, My bad. I'm depending on your choice yeah. of ending, suffered a couple ah, yeah. different fates depending on which way we go. <laughs> so, on the marketing, does anyone remember the demanded campaign that happened for this? The only marketing I specifically remember was that when they showed TV ads, they didn't show the movie. They showed the audience reacting yeah. to the movie. Yeah, which I think was a great marketing play, honestly. You really wanted to hold back all the punches. Everything needed to be new, fresh, and keep you fully immersed. It, it worked for me. Plus, showing that video to you know, audiences used to something more slick probably wouldn't have gotten them in the theaters, but showing them the audience and keeping everything secret was probably their best marketing track. Absolutely. Yeah, that was the marketing campaign they went with, you know, once they were getting it wide. Just a little bit prior to that, it was getting buzz on the indie scene just from the showings they were doing. And so what they decided to do was kind of cash in, like you mentioned, on kind of the groundswell that Blair Witch had. And they did it via a campaign called Demand It, where you could go online and you could go to this webpage and you could fill out a form that you demanded that paranormal activity come to your town. And I actually did it because at the time it wasn't confirmed that this was going to get a wide release. It mm-hmm. was just this movie that was, you know, getting all kinds of creepy buzz on the indies. And I said, well, there's zero chance it comes to, you know, the small town that we live in out of doing this pod. But what the heck? Maybe. So, yeah, I actually completed the campaign at that point. And then the support from that overall was large enough that they decided to go ahead and say, all right, let's release it wide. Nice. You know, honest to God, I can't remember if I saw it in the theaters or not. I don't I, think I did. I didn't. I did. So one of the things we talked about on the previous podcast was, for myself specifically, I mentioned that one thing I'm looking for is always something that actually can creep me out. Absolutely. Um, I was always, like I mentioned before, I was perpetually terrified as a child. And now as an adult, I'm a walking, shambling ball of anxiety. So I'm kind of perpetually terrified in my day-to-day life. But in fiction, in watching movies, not so much. And it's that's something I'm always kind of chasing is, can something actually creep me out? So obviously that was part of the... Uh, appeal of the Paranormal Activity franchise, which was, oh, this is something that's, you know, has this Blair Witchy, Exorcisty vibe, you know, based on what folks on the internet are saying about it. So I went to see this by myself in the theater. Nice. And did that for the next two. So the one, two, and three I saw in the theaters solo. And then after nice. that, everything else was just on DVD. I can safely say I definitely approach horror for the same reasons. Definitely looking for something new that's going to creep me out and, and really hit home. The whole reason I watch anything, television, movies, or such, is because I'm looking for a strong emotional reaction. Whether that be heartfelt, oh, this is wonderful, or dear God, save me. <laughs> that strong emotional response is what I really get from these types of experiences. And I feel this franchise, for the most part, um, really, really delivered on that. So much so... We'll get into it later in the pod. Uh, I, I had some uh, responses from this one watching it just recently. Ooh. Yeah, but that's – you're going to laugh. Uh, but we'll move on. <laughs> well, so when you're talking about strong emotional responses, I think that's what the whole movie is designed to do. It's designed Absolutely. to terrify – because it's it's got jump scares, but it's not really built around jump scares. It's built around creeping dread. Yes. It's built around you looking at a scene that's mostly still – seeing a cover move and just wanting to get up and walk out of the theater. That's how I described the first one to anybody I talked to about it. It is nothing more than one of the best slow burn movies you can find out there where it just builds and it builds and it builds and the very end just punches you right in the face. And it's so worth it when it does it. Which to some extent is is a necessity of the, the, the entire found footage genre. They're almost always slow builds and, you know, that's more of a budget constraint. 
But it's interesting to approach to look at that compared to like older horror. Like when you look back at say like the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, that is a we got to keep pounding you in the face. We got to keep that tension going. We hit you, you start to come down. We hit you again. We'll hit you again. This is the slow dread is such a different approach, and I I personally think if you can do it, more rewarding. Yeah, and the found footage, like I mentioned, operates on slow burn, consistent building of dread. Paranormal Activity, Oren Pelly, the director, just kind of ended up stumbling on kind of a perfect storm conceptually with the premise of this. A, based around just the concept of what was that noise and the whole concept of the movie sprang about from him moving into a house and they had strange noises in their home. But on top of that is specifically staging the camera in the bedroom. So not only are we playing on, you know, the slow burn dread of a relatable thing of everyone houses making creepy noises and whatnot, but it's a movie that's specifically predicated on its location on you being at your most vulnerable. When you're unconscious yeah. and, and dead to the world. Yeah. And you just pray. Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of, yeah, the first one really just kind of landed on this really great base premise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny. I... I couldn't help but think about it as I'm watching these in, in relation to our last podcast, which was about Return of the Living Dead, which was almost the exact opposite kind of horror film and Absolutely. horror experience. And in, in fact, I think Eric's got a book about those in front of him. <laughs> I, I do. So we're recording this a little bit after Christmas, and I got a lot of lovely Christmas gifts from so many people this year, but in particular... I got this book from Friends of the Pod, Shannon and Anna, so say hi to them. And this is The Complete History of the Return of the Living Dead. It was written by Christian Sellers and Gary Smart. I had been wanting to pick this book up. I didn't have a chance to get it in time for the last pod. Christian Sellers and Gary Smart, they actually have a commentary on the Shout Factory Blu-ray release for Return of the Living Dead, which I highly recommend. It's a great disc. I believe they have a commentary track on the second Return of the Living Dead Part 2 as well. So when I got this book, thrilled to have it, and I made a Beeline for the material on Necropolis and Rave to the Grave. I had a I strong mean, emotional reaction to both of those films. <laughs> it's it's hard not to. They're so bad. Because for the first three, there is, if you want to go looking for it, there's there's material out there for them. Like Chow Factory has great Blu-ray releases for one and two, and Vestron Video has a Blu-ray release for the third one with a lot of work on it. But if I looked, and there's not that much out there on Necropolis and Rave to the Grave outside of... Good. Well, of course well, yeah. not. Who's going to give half a crap about either of them? Yeah. They're awful. Yeah, if you Google it, it's mainly folks who put up like blog posts about it the night they aired on Sci-Fi, and it's basically the text equivalent of... <laughs> <laughs> so for this one, this book actually had... They went out and they interviewed a bunch of people who worked on it. In particular, they interviewed the two writers, William Butler and Aaron Strangoni, and they interviewed Ellery LKM, who was the director, and they interviewed a handful of the actors. So I just wanted to... Since we... Ragged on those movies pretty good in the um, in the first pod. So I just want to recap a couple things that might be of interest that we learned from this book, since there wasn't much out there. So the writers of this, the main writer initially was William Butler, and he was hired by Tom Fox, who was the producer of the first one. This started in the early 2000s, and the movies ended up coming out in 2005. He started working on a script for Necropolis, and he was a big fan of the original Return of the Living Dead, had a bunch of ideas. One of them involved Trioxin getting loose at Area 51, and reanimating a bunch of aliens. And he went back and forth. And what they settled on for Necropolis was actually going to be based out of an amusement park, where it was going to be Trioxin had gotten loose, humans had basically taken zombies and 
forced them to populate this amusement park. So they were used <laughs> for shooting galleries and haunt, like jump out at you and that, haunted house. That would have been a vastly better precedent than what they ended up with. Uh, significantly. <laughs> um, and it was actually written before Land of the Dead came out. And George Romero's Land of the Dead plays on a lot of the, the same ideas. So they kind of ended up stumbling on something similar. They sold it to a studio and the studio requested a bunch of rewrites, which they kind of begrudgingly did some of them. The studio is the one who had the idea for doing two movies back to back which they did. They submitted the two scripts and then they were basically booted off the projects and the producers said, from here on out, we're going to write what we want in it. But even up to the point that they got booted off, it was, they could see everything kind of taking a turn for the worst. The last rewrite notice they received was, we only feel like flying out about four or five actors from the United States for these. So can you rewrite five so it's based around the same characters from four? Um, <laughs> so that was originally two completely separate movies. So the whole concept of these, you know, high school. You really feel that. Into, Yep. <laughs> and they hated it as well. Um, so they're interviewed. They're very blunt about the their approach to this movie. The director, Ellery LKM, he takes a more of a, eh, it is what it is approach. And he's very, you know, he's like, yeah, it could have been better, but. The, I got paid. Yeah, he <laughs> did. Basically it's, it. <laughs> the, the writers, however, <laughs> they didn't see the movies for the first time and didn't know they were coming out until they saw the ads for them on the sci-fi channel. Watched them when they aired on the Sci-Fi Channel, and William Butler turned to Aaron Strangoni and said, "We're never going to work again." <laughs> um, and they have, you know, they're still working. William Butler is actually directing now at the moment. But one quote I wanted to read, which was from Aaron Strangoni, which goes, "Believe me, I totally fucking get it. I feel the same way. The only thing I'd like people to realize is that Billy and I didn't set out to write crap. We worked really hard and cared about these movies more than you could know." I'm now more sensitive to people that get chewed up and spat out by the Hollywood machine. More often than not, the people to blame for the failure of movies aren't the creative ones. So just a little nugget because we did really, that does not make these movies any better. But I was so glad to get some context for what exactly went wrong. Because we talked about how they were completely out of line tonally with, largely with previous films in the franchise. Yep. Five, uh, slightly more. But yeah. it, again, this was a case of, best intentions. Would the original movie still have been good? Probably not, but certainly the intent was not what we ended up with. It's, it's nice to see it start with a seed of, of carrying it and an intention that was clearly corrupted into well, But it's interesting <laughs> how that dovetails into Paranormal Activity because Speaking Paranormal of Activity diminishing returns. has seven films and it's not, it's not as directly like it, it doesn't look like a slope like the return of the living, <laughs> living dead. Well, at least I would say, because, you know, if I had to rank them, even before we get into it, I would probably put, I don't know, one marked ones, three, two, four, six. I have, okay, so my feeling of the matter is, I really feel that the third one is a turning point. I think you end up with two franchises that collided into each other in honesty. I feel you can take one, two, and three. Or you can take three through the rest. And we'll discuss that more later. But I think if you if you approach it from that viewpoint, you have different expectations from the films in, the, in that case. If you try to do them all at once, though, it just becomes a jumbled mess. It's very disheartening. Yeah, yeah. when you watch them all at once and you try to map out the continuity, it's it's probably harder to do watch, binge watching them than watching them over the course of years. Because you forget the little details that don't make any damn sense. Mm. And with, with that in mind, I would actually maybe rank three as potentially my, my favorite of them all. Followed by one. All right. Wow. Just because just I, I feel it's a linchpin. I, okay. I, think, I think if you go from three out, everything is possible. But we, we'll get into that. 
Well, let's say so. Let's let's double back and let's actually talk about the movies, and then we'll kind of get into the continuity and the overall problems and positives with the series. So, so look, look, I I love this series. I'll admit, I even even yes. the worst of them, I still well, <sighs> I enjoyed about half of Ghost Dimension, so I'll give it that. But, but still, having half a regret of a movie in an entire franchise is high praise. Yeah. Now. I mean, I should I should probably put it on note that my level of forgiveness for found footage films is extraordinarily high. Like, it doesn't have to do much for me to enjoy it and think it's worth watching. The Mother Teresa found footage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, it, you know. Every found footage movie is blessed in Jacob's eyes. <laughs> well, kind of, yeah, because I, maybe it's it's coming from like a punk rock background. It's the DIY nature of it. To the fact that I don't need much. I don't need all the chords to sound good. I just need something clever and something cool and something I can pump my fist to. Mm. And if you do that, it doesn't take much because you expect a slow burn. You know, I like it when they have people who can act and I like it when they have characters that are interesting, which is about one every three movies. I agree with you to the most part. I do have some cardinal sins when it comes to just about any film, though. Logic problems and sound quality. Luckily, sound quality wasn't a problem in this franchise. Well, you have to throw sound quality out the window with sound footage. <laughs> to a degree. It's one thing to have, oh, it sounds like uh, this guy is recording on a portable camera. It's another thing to sound like, wow, they're recording in a bathroom. Yep. Everywhere they go, they're recording in a bathroom. You know, which we don't get in this film. Related. The first podcast we recorded on one mic between us. This time, we're fancy. We have a mixer and everything. So when you leave notes, remark on the sound quality. It's It'll make us all feel better. <laughs> um, Please tell us this was a worthwhile investment. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, but this one does have some logic issues that I take with it, issue with at points. Which Oh I, boy, am I looking forward to discussing four with you. So four makes me so angry. In, but no, no. <laughs> in, in the previous podcast, we, we mentioned that episode three of the main oddity podigy show, Scary Stuff, was essentially the pilot episode basically for what became this podcast. So I wasn't on that pod, but so when I was going back listening to it, just as a fan, it's basically an hour and 45 minutes of Nick very sweetly, very effusively sharing his love and his passion, his praise for all of these movies until the 24 minute mark (laughs) when Paranormal Activity 4 comes up. And then briefly, Nick seems like he's about to reenact the scene from The Room where Johnny... (laughs) Where Johnny finally confronts Mark about sleeping with his wife. <laughs> the, the first third of that podcast is, Nick, what do you think of Nightmare on Elm Street? I love it! <laughs> Nick, what do you think of Critters? I love it! Nick, what do you think of Paranormal Activity? I kill you, you bastard! Get out of my house! <laughs> that, that movie betrayed me! I fed up with this franchise! <laughs> He's not at all wrong. You're absolutely correct. In fact, after I watched 4, I officially gave up on this franchise. I had zero intention of ever coming back to it. Potentially rewatch the originals, maybe. But 5 and 6 and and the 7th one were just dead to me. I was out. I wanted nothing to do with these people. That I that I'd been betrayed. I will not watch them shook ones. I will not watch Ghost Dimension. I will not. Oh hi, Jake. So of course, you know, Jake loves five. He's been just ranting at me that I need to watch at least the chosen ones. It's called Paranormal Activity, the marked ones. We're generally gonna refer to it as the shook ones because I've been doing that for years. But we'll the get more chosen that, ones was new. <laughs> I know. I enjoyed that. <laughs> well they said 
Anyway, so they're it, chosen. You can say it. So for years, he's been hounding me to watch this film. He's like, I don't even care about Ghost Adventures. Just, just watch five because it's five. good. And I was like, Nope, I'm done. Forget it. And then, then you made me watch Metropolis. The Return of the Living Dead franchise, and I saw this gleam in his eye. This just like, like it was like, you're going to pay. And I know how to do it. <laughs> and then this this podcast was chosen. My moment had arrived. <laughs> this is why I have this episode listed in my notes as episode two, retaliation. <laughs> so first you suffered, and now I have suffered. I don't know how we're going to make you suffer, but we'll figure it out. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> See, I thought about this. <laughs> See, like we said, Nick picked episode one. Jake picked episode two. You would think I would pick episode three. But I'm not like you. <laughs> I want to be noble about this. I want to take the Sir Gawain and the Green Knight route with this. I show up. Eric's going to watch us make us watch the Romanian film. <laughs> I showed up to this podcast and I said, take your best shot. Nick hits me, rave to the grave. Jake hits me, ghost dimension. I pick my severed head up off the ground. I said, I'm coming back in a year. I suggest you settle your affairs because I'm coming back to take my swing. So y'all are on notice. I don't want ep three. I want episode 13, which means we have to do this podcast for at least a year. This podcast is not going to fizzle out. Because I will have my day. <laughs> and you know it's coming because we have a spreadsheet shared which has some topics for potential episodes. And you know which one it is because it's called Eric's Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I think I think I, I know what to do here. I'm no, so excited no, for that. So why, why don't why, no, I made you do Return of the Living Dead. You made me do Ghost Dimension. Want to do Ouija again? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You're a monster. I'm so evil. <laughs> By the time we hit episode 13, you're going to be begging for Ouija. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am ready and, and excited for this. Shit, I might have liked Rave to the Grave more than I liked Ouija. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that without a doubt. <laughs> I have not watched any of them yet. So really, while I'm like attacking you with it, I'm just, it's so much self-hatred is what's going on here with me. <laughs> well, Ouija 2 is a crime. It's this brilliant, very good movie by Mike Flanagan with this horrible trash ending tacked onto it. Because they decided to make it a prequel instead of saying, hey, Mike, make a good movie. <laughs> yep. Oh, I love Mike Flanagan. I'll watch so, anything he's in. Although we're way off topic. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, we're, we're going to do, do a Mike Flanagan episode for sure. Absolutely. Oh, have to. Have to. Um, but anyway, so paranormal activity. This was a phenomenon. It was, you know, a cultural moment. Like this was a zeitgeist film that even people who don't like horror know about. It's like Blair Witch. It's mm -hmm. the kind of... The, Even if the they sequel. hadn't seen it, they were yep. more than happy to hear about it and kind of like get an idea what it was about. But is it a good movie? The first one? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I would say yes. I didn't like it as much on a rewatch as I did initially. So seeing it in theaters, again, it was, you mentioned it was a zeitgeist thing that played into it. And seeing it in a theater and with a crowded theater and you're watching a still shot and just watching everybody's head move about as they're trying to figure out where to look in the frame. It really did add a lot of ambiance to it. So I was pretty creeped out when I saw the this one the first time. So seeing it again didn't really creep me out, but I think it still holds up for reasons we'll probably get into as we, we go through it. I definitely think it holds up, although I do agree that replay value is limited with this type of genre, especially when you're dealing with what's going to happen. Like There, there are scenes where you're just staring for almost a minute looking for what, you know, you know it's coming. Where is it? What's going to happen? And the second time around, it's like you're watching that spot. like. 
You know what's coming. You're just waiting for it. So it's diminished returns. Incorrect. I have forgotten <laughs> everything that happened in this film when I watched it. So I knew stuff was going to happen, and I knew generally what the ballpark was, but I had forgotten the order. I had forgotten what was going to be. So I, it still creeped me out a little bit when I watched it. You know, and I recently moved into a new house, and I have five cats. And they knew I was watching Paranormal Activity. They were like, oh, this is our time to shine. <laughs> it's 1.30 in the morning. I'm going to knock shit over. So we, we have a pass-through in our kitchen. And the cats stay way the hell away from it. So when I binned, I watched three, four, I watched two, three, four, and five uh, all in one go. And when I was watching four, which, I mean, isn't creepy, but when you watch a bunch of these and it's two o'clock in the morning, everything's creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Giant crash. <laughs> Cat had jumped through the pass-through onto the kitchen counter and knocked something over. They haven't done this since the day we got them. Mm-hmm. But he saved it. <laughs> For the time I was watching a movie about crashes in the house that you don't know what they are at 2 o'clock in the morning. So I think I have to rename my cat Monty to Toby. And it's entirely appropriate, okay. too. A, a quick spoiler for the fourth one. We learn in the fourth one the cat's 100% down with demons. Dogs, <laughs> not so much. That cat in four has no problems with Toby. Yeah. Oh, the you're, cat. You're I have about notes demon, about the cat in four. If you're worried about demon infest, infestation in your home, get a dog. Cats are worthless. <laughs> <laughs> cats might even be the demons. All right, so you brought it up, so I'm just going to throw this out here now. I was th- trying to think of the right time for it. So I definitely had reactions to these films, and I watched one by itself, two by itself, and then I watched uh, three, four, and six in one go. So after I watched one, it was late at night, a little creepy, you know, but, you know, I'm doing all right. Get up to bed. And, you know, you know, there's uncomfortable moments where, like, you know, you ever have that moment where you get into bed, all the lights are out, and just when that last foot is coming up from the floor, you're most creeped out. Like, it's it's kind of, like, hovering in that space, like, right in the opening underneath your bed. Like, mm-hmm. if anything were to live under your bed, that was the moment you're going to get grabbed. You know, so, like, just have that little kind of creeped out moment, get to sleep, fine. Second movie. This was not okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm watching the second movie and I'm sitting there really into it, getting excited. And there is out of nowhere, a large clattering crash, like eight feet to my left. I'm like, what? the No, not okay. <laughs> and so I got up and I, I, I get my phone out. I get, I get to turn the light on because I'm going to see what this is. There's no, there's, there's no letting this go kind of You didn't just here. go stumble around for a flashlight and then mm. walk through the darkness to see what it was? No, no. Have you learned nothing from <laughs> this movie? <laughs> so I walk over and what has happened is my daughter had made a hexagon with pens and tape. If only it was a pentagram. I know, right? And it was just sitting on this stool and for some reason had decided... Halfway through my film, with me nowhere near it, to fall apart and clatter into a pile on the ground. Some reason. <laughs> I'm like, this is not okay. I immediately get on my phone, text these two, I'm just like, I'm not okay. <laughs> pull a Spielberg and just put all that stuff in a trash bag. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the worst part, though. So that happens. I'm kind of like on an adrenaline high. I finish the movie. I'm like, that's really creepy. It's like 3 a.m. I'm going to bed. We'll finish this, you know, the next night. So I go upstairs. Go into the bathroom, and I turn around, and there are faces staring at me. Multiple faces in the dark, just staring at me. Like the end of four? Yes, actually. (laughs) And I'm just like, ah! It wigged me out so bad. 
context. So my, my yeah, I would expect some context here. My just cut to static at this point in the pod. <laughs> my sister-in-law and her husband. Sorry, we can't stay. <laughs> my sister-in-law and her husband decided to prank us one day. So he babysat for us while we were out. Uh, I don't even know what we were doing. I don't know if it was a movie or some other prearranged arrangement. But we come back and he's just giggling. I'm like what's going on like, nothing uh, you guys have a good day and as he's wrapping up <coughs> we catch him just before he leaves we're like what's that in one of our framed photos is a small little tucked in paper cutout of <laughs> jeff goldblum we're like what's this we start looking around they're everywhere they have apparently assembled a collection of 120 little photos of jeff goldblum and nicholas cage in various freaked out looks <laughs> and have hidden them throughout the apartment. They're in <laughs> books. They're in like cups. They're in doors. They're taped in interesting places. We spent like weeks just like raiding the entire house trying to find these things. It was a lot of fun and ridiculous. So, of course, Christmas comes along and we get normal gifts. We also get a gag gift where we're apparently given a Nicolas Cage shower curtain. Oh, my God. Which is just <laughs> these dark black and white photos of him, like, looking, you know, debonair and intriguing. And unbeknownst to me, that day, my wife had hung it up in her shower. And so I walk into the bathroom and turn over, and there's just this wall of faces staring at me from the darkness. I'm like, oh, oh, God. <laughs> it was so awful. I was so upset. And the next morning, I just tell her about this, and she's just laughing at me. She's laughing so hard. She's like, I'm sorry. I had no idea. I'm like, dude, it just it was the timing was amazing. I'm not sure I believe her that she had no I idea. No, right? <laughs> so last That's night. That's incredible. So last night, I binged uh, the last three I watched. And by the end of it, um, it's really kind of creepy, a little unnerving, you know, watching so much horror at once. It's going to get to you just a little bit. It's like 3 a.m. Turn it off all the lights downstairs. Head up. Going to the bathroom, I finish up there. I'm coming into our room, and there's this air pressure effect where if you open up one door, sometimes it'll open up another one. Oh no. So I'm opening the door into my room, the kid's door cracks just a bit, you know, because of the air pressure. I turn around just to make sure everything's fine, and that's not when the kid's up, because I'm freaked out anyway. I need some verification. And then a goddamn hand falls on my shoulder. And I yelp and apparently do some fancy ass spin fall into the bed. <laughs> like, ah! <laughs> my heart's racing. I'm like, ah, ah, ah. And Hannah's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> she barely had gotten up in the night and had heard me. She's like, oh, I don't want to freak him out. So she apparently said, hey, at some point, and I completely missed it. So she thinks I know she's there. So when as I come in the room, she just touches me. I'm looking at my kid's door. Freaked out, wondering why it's opening and something grabs me from behind. I almost died. <laughs> I spent well, like the next five minutes catching my breath. <laughs> shit, I just watched the movies. I didn't reenact them. <laughs> I feel like I'm letting the pod down. I feel no, I like I got the full experience. I just want to get your wife a t-shirt that just has the midwife's coven logo on it. <laughs> just so she can wear it and not tell you. I've always had this shirt. <laughs> Kids, why? <laughs> That's incredible. What timing. I feel like we got to get oh, Hannah man. a gift from the pot. She gets the first t-shirt. <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> much, and much of the fashion of the first movie, it gradually increased in, in effect. So it just was a slow burn until I almost died in my bedroom. <laughs> so let's get back to the first movie. Well, that's it's it's interesting. That's one of the, the things 
about the first movie is how well it's paced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The pacing has been like it really. It starts out slow. It adds things here and there. It ramps up at such an incredibly well controlled level. Considering like, it never actually punches you in the face at any point, it it is yes a very measured approach. Yeah, I mean the only thing you really see is in the the studio ending where yeah. Micah gets thrown across the room. Yeah, that's literally the only digital effect in in the whole film. Yeah, to my recollection. And it's uh, the only other thing I guess you see. Well, I mean doors and the sheets and stuff. But the only other thing that's close to I don't want to say supernatural ish is the footprints. Well, there's also the Ouija board. Oh yeah, the Ouija board. Yep. Freaking Ouija boards. That's, so, is this our too stupid to live moment for uh, for Paranormal <laughs> Activity 1? Uh, oh, you know, I wasn't really thinking Everything about it. Everything about Micah is just awful. I, I mean, Micah is really the too stupid to live moment in this. But, <laughs> but if, I, if I'm looking at my notes here, and almost every other note, if not 75% of them, is just me describing how much of a goddamn douchebag this guy is. He is the worst boyfriend in, in creation. Yeah. yeah. So, now, if I was to give a specific too-stupid-to-live moment in this, it'd probably be the feet. Oh, okay. They wake up, they've got the the powder on the floor, and they see what's clearly not human feet in it. Mm -hmm. And they're like, that's interesting. Can I have omelets for breakfast? (laughs) (laughs) And which is a problem that plagues almost every found footage movie is that because you want to have a whole movie, people have to react in ways that aren't human. Like if you well, if you said, well, I think there might be a ghost in the house, and you lay things down, and you see demon feet in them, your first reaction is going to be like, well, I wonder what the weather's like in Connecticut. Well, <laughs> let's 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 ask a quick question here, just to verify a timeline, because this may not be as bad as you're saying. Early in the film, it is suggested to them to get a demonologist involved. Yes, and Micah, being the like ridiculous jerk that he is, just blows it off completely and convinces her not to invest in it. At some point, they change their minds. Did they do that before or after the footprints? Because one can make the argument that if it's before the footprints and they're just waiting for him to get back, they might be in a state of hopelessness going, we just need to get through this until he just shows up. But they're never in a state of hopelessness. No, Micah, Mike- there's no point where Micah says, you know, I'm scared. Everything about Micah is that he is not in control of the situation and he wants to punch the demon. Well, yeah. there's one specific Because he is a point. dude bro. There's one yes. spe- well, there's one, there's not only is he a dude bro, there's one specific turning point in the film I noticed when he actually experiences fear and the whole thing turns for him and that is when in the film where they hear the loud bump upstairs he goes upstairs and sees that the picture is broken and there are scratches across his face like that seems to be the moment where it becomes real to him like she's been through hell she's crying she's freaked out he's like ah it's a goddamn roller coaster oh wait i might be in trouble suddenly it's a problem <laughs> well, he, he has a line in it. It's and I think I have it in my notes. It's a very specific line. Yeah, it's it's after the Ouija board, probably about halfway through the movie, while he's still in the telling her to calm down every two minutes stage, mm-hmm. where he says, "This is my house and my girlfriend. I'm going to solve the problem." Right, and that's his entire character in a nutshell, as far as I'm concerned. He is he is a he's a day trading dude bro asshole, oh, yeah. and I yeah. think. Part of the problem is, is there was no script for the movie. No. So this, and I, and I wonder if this is just him being himself or him playing an asshole. And my inclination is that I don't want to invite Micah, the actor, over <laughs> to my house for tea. And, and that was the, that's the biggest problem for me. The entire movie is the character of Micah because everything he does drives me nuts. The way he talks to her, the way he believes something is happening, 
but then consistently reacts poorly to other. Like he's like, oh, the psychic's a fraud. We're definitely haunted. Supernatural is real. This guy is definitely a fraud, and a demonologist is just stupid. These are crazy people. But we're definitely haunted, and that doesn't make sense. Well, no, to him, he's reading books written by demonologists. It's real simple. Until while he, he himself is in no direct threat, it's just a joyride for him. He doesn't give a shit about anyone else or any anyone else or even threats to her. To him, it's just this is interesting. I'm I'm fine. So what do I care? Yeah, on the subject of the book he reads, I wonder about the the authenticity of the books he's reading because we see him reading the books after he brings home the Ouija board, which he insists he didn't buy. That he insists I borrowed it I from borrowed a friend, it. and he holds the Ouija board. Oh, that was board one up. of the bigger dick bag yeah. moments. <laughs> yeah, and he holds the Ouija board up. And it is the most garish thing. And I'm 99% sure that's a World of Darkness tie-in Ouija board. <laughs> so I don't think he went to an occult store to get this. I nope. think he went to, like, the Games Workshop version for World of Darkness, didn't realize what it was, <laughs> and bought, like, the source book for Demon. And that's what he's reading. And he's like, just roll these D10s, Katie, and we'll banish it. It'll work. The book says so. <laughs> actually, did either of you look up, because I did, what the Ouija board actually says? Yeah, it says Diane. Wrong. So, well, that, we, that the was Ouija, the, the Ouija board sure. moves around and then it lights up. He gets the video and tries to figure out what it says. Mm-hmm. And yet you see the array of letters he has set up. Could be this, 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 or this. And he thinks it's Diane. He thinks he's trying to say its name or something. Yeah, and it, um, it leads him to that other possessed woman, mm-hmm. which okay. is a plot line that makes no sense. Which, true, but in actuality, someone looked it up and verified what it actually says. The Ouija board apparently very clearly says, Micah, and then slides down to goodbye. Yeah, really. Like it's very clear the Ouija board is is stating, "I'm just done with you," (laughs) (laughs) and like everything that happens in the film is really about this demon that is going to just be with Katie, you know, and for as long as they can see, just being done with her boyfriend. Yeah, and me too. Honestly, (laughs) there are parts of this movie where I am 100% rooting for the demon. Most of it in my case. So, like, the net results of of this movie are that Toby gets Katie out of a toxic relationship. (laughs) She establishes at the beginning of the movie that she's an English major. And he's just trying. He's like, oh, no, she's got to pursue a more profitable line of work. So I think he's just trying to scare us. No, 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 not English major. No, 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 no. Go into accounting, something. So, (laughs) you know, Toby is a life coach, if anything. (laughs) Well, one one of Katie's first lines is, you're supposed to love me and not the camera. Yeah. And so, so I think that may be what triggered the that, demon. It's like, yeah, no, this we've got to get her out of this. That, that may be one of my my uh, first complaints of the film. Actually, is that she shows up, he's filming, and let's be clear, that camera is expensive. That is a nice camera. There's no way I would not just be livid with seeing that kind of purchase out of nowhere on a whim. We're like, are you kidding me? No, he clearly makes all the money. Nah, she doesn't even have a job. She's yeah. a student. They, I mean, they established she's a student up front. Well, you're living and he together. Is a day it's a shared trader. income. You have It's you, not a shared income. She no, is a not. kept woman. Which gets more <laughs> interesting <laughs> when we get into two and three in terms of what the deal was that brought Toby into play. Yeah. 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 So so one, one other note about the first one. One of the reasons I liked it a little bit less this time than when I first saw it is when I first saw it, you know, whatever. But this time, when Micah first appears on the screen, I realized that he looks very much like... Kevin O'Connor. Now, Kevin O'Connor is a uh, writer for the Ringer website, and he is somebody who professes to not be a Celtics fan, but is absolutely a Celtics fan, and spends a lot of time <laughs> picking on Ben Simmons. So he is kind of 
an enemy of Sixers fandom, which is I'm a big part of, and a schmuck, and I don't care for him. Uh, in fact, I spend a lot of time on Twitter insulting him because I'm a bad person, and not personally or anything, just his, you know, opinions. And uh, when I realized Michael looked like Kevin O'Connor, I was like, oh, man, this demon's now Joel Embiid. Let's dunk on this schmuck. <laughs> and I couldn't Which get over it the rest of this. Enough. Yeah, he did. That's like, great. This is great. And he just, everything he does is so infuriating. Like, I even, there was another line I wrote down. When she's telling him to not antagonize it, not to, yes. you know. And, and he says, you never told me you were haunted, so I get some say in antagonizing it. And it's like, man, what is wrong with you? You are the worst human being. And, and knowing that these are improvised lines makes it worse. Yeah. And it's part of why the, it's, it's, the whole movie is 90 minutes of a dick measuring contest with a demon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's part of why the, the Ouija board scene really just drives me up a wall, which is, that is kind of being the definitive too stupid to live moment for me is, you know, everything else you can, it's a stretch, but you can kind of argue around it. But when you have visual footage that this thing can will fire into being, it's, it would be one of those, let me play this video back. Oh, look, the Ouija board's on fire. Hey, Toby, I didn't mean all that shit. I've been having a bad week. You know, me and Katie have been fighting. I didn't mean to take it out on you, Toby. We're, we're good, right? I am going to argue in his favor that I feel that's the too stupid to live moment. Because at least with the footprints, the very next day, they call the psychic game. They're working under the assumption they can't run from this thing, but at least they call for help the minute it's like Yeah, and then he there. laughed at him. Psychic? Oh, man, it, no, the, the, second, psychic the second psychic scene. When he shows up, oh, when he shows up yeah. and he's like, yeah, no, that's that's like too bad I can't stay. So yeah. it's like they see the footprints and Mike is finally like, okay, you're right. Calls a psychic who then gets the demonologist, and at that point, it's a waiting game because they know they can't run. So, uh, so but, did the, you, but the Ouija board, you're right. At that point, he should have totally backed the hell off. So did you catch the the first time Micah goes to something without going for the camera first? Can't remember. It's when she gets dragged out of the room. Yes. That's uh, the first and only time. Uh, second, uh, He does second time when she screams downstairs, he leaves the camera. Yeah. But that's the first time, and that's like... Ten minutes left in the movie, eight yep. minutes. Left. It's the yep. first time he doesn't go for the camera first. Well, there's actually a, an interesting phenomenon. I didn't know if this was intentional behind this or not, but there's a lot of people who say that when you're holding a camera as like a journalist or, or an artist, that it really puts this kind of wall between you and your subject. You're detached. That's why you end up with a lot of situations where you end up with these photos where you're like, well, maybe you should have put the camera down to help that person, but instead they they're, they're, they're recording it. Because you're not actually there per se. It's I don't know if this was intentional and saying that this is why he was left involved, or if he was actively using it kind of as a personal defense. As long as he had the camera, he felt in control. Once control was completely out the window, he stopped being more so interested in grabbing the camera. That's Speak, possible. Or it's her, possible he's <laughs> just an asshole who doesn't well, really like his girlfriend that, as much as he should. That is supported by the rest of the film. I'll agree there. Yeah. I do want to talk about that scene, though, because her leg getting pulled out of the bed and then her down and out the out the door was so brilliantly done. Mm. I mean, it was seamless and I believe not CGI. From what I understand, no. From from what I read, the only digital effect was the studio mandated ending, which is the, the ending we see. It looks so polished yeah. and ju- it was incredibly unnerving. It really feels like something just grabbed her ankle and went running. It is oh, that gives me give me chills thinking about it. It yeah. is maybe my favorite scene in the movie. So all right, so let's talk about the endings because there's three of them. It's true. Yes, there's the the one. I don't want to call it the original ending. The, the, the theatrical, theatrical release, release ending. 
The one suggested by Spielberg is the one where there's the scream downstairs and then silence. And then he gets thrown into the room. She comes up, you know, sniffs him in a very animal-like state and then kind of growls at the, the lunges she, at the, she lunges lunges the, camera, the camera and you can like for a split second see kind of like a change to her facial features yeah. her eyes get darker i think like her teeth get sharper yeah you know, yeah it's i i think for a theatrical release it was a good move it's the most kinetic of the three for yeah sure. by a lot yeah yeah so the original landing is a little bit different you hear that you hear the scream she's screaming downstairs michael goes down all that's the same she comes back up and sits by the bed and is just rocking for like days. For like, it, yeah. And eventually somebody comes by. The friend, not, fr- early the in the friend film. with the beads. The friend with yeah. the beads. She yeah. eventually just kind of makes uh, her, Amber, lets herself in and finds Micah. Yeah. And then she finds Micah. This screen. is all off screen, by the way, because the camera does not leave the bedroom from this point on. Yeah. It never, it never leaves her. And she never stops rocking either. Nope. Well, until the very end. Yeah, until the very end. So then police come in. They're walking around. They walk upstairs. They, I don't think they see her initially. They hear the door slam. Like, the door slams behind the cops. And well, is that when she – I forget What the happens is, is that the cops show up, they come to the stairs, and it almost seems like the entity releases her in this moment. Like, she's just kind of in this trance state for this whole period, just rocking and not there. And as the cops come up, she's released. She doesn't understand what's going on. She stands up, walks towards the door. The entity turns the light on behind yes. them? At which point they freak out, kind of turn around, not knowing what's going on. She comes to the door and is like, where's Micah? Because she's freaking out, covered in blood, which startles them. They turn around and shoot her because she's holding the knife. Yeah. And that that was the original ending. That was, that was what's the guy's name? Orsi? Not Orsi. Orin Pelly. Orin Pelly. Pelly's original yeah. ending. Mm-hmm. And then there's a third one, which is I'm not directing. Is but it, was, it was just an alternate one. I think they shot originally before the studio came into play. Yeah, okay. it's 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 not on the DVD. Oh, it's not. I don't okay. think it's, so. I yeah. found it online. Yeah, and it's basically everything is the same. She comes up, sits on the bed. No, she comes up, no, looks at the camera, up, yeah. and slits her throat with a smile on her face, and then falls over. Seems less rewarding. Yeah, kind of a creepy image, but yeah, not it's, as it's as creepy good as the payoff is the original or is either or the other two things i feel it's it's a bit more anticlimactic too it's like you've been building up and this thing happened like the climax is more micah dying in that case and her just kind of like cleaning up the mess at the end really yeah there's a fourth ending that was written but never filmed where she bludgeons micah to death with the camera so when she takes yep. the camera off the mount and is bludgeoning him with it and it's lens first so basically you as the viewer are watching his face Micah. slowly dissolve under the attacks yeah. yeah oh i would have enjoyed that one uh it was obviously when they were making it originally they didn't have the money to do it it was too complicated and yeah. when dreamworks was giving them money to reshoot the ending they said well you think that one's a little too brutal so that's why they went with the one with michael just gets thrown at the camera you know i'm fine with with either of the the original ending or the the one that went in the theatrical release i think you have to go with the theatrical release one because of the way they decided to do, you know, the sequels happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the movie wasn't made with sequels intended. The movie was made as yep. a standalone, obviously. dollars and, and then it made, you know, $200 million. And they're like, yes, have some. <laughs> and suddenly there was, well, in fact, there were two Paranormal Activity number twos. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's the U.S. release. And then there's one called Paranormal Activity 2 Tokyo Night. I regret that a, I did not get a chance to see Tokyo. You, you, you shouldn't. Um, <laughs> it's not. I mean, it's not bad. It's not. All right, well, let's let's talk a little bit about Tokyo Night. So, it was it was an officially sanctioned movie. 
Yes. So at this oh, point, really? yes, it was. So DreamWorks officially licensed it to a Japanese studio because apparently Paranormal Activity was a big hit over there. So it's a they licensed them to use the name, and the plan was for them to start uh, basically a divergent continuity. So it would there would just be kind of a separate series of sequels that would take. So place. they could do whatever they want with it over there. Yes, right. and and so technically this movie is a sequel. But it's funny because in execution, it's a lot of it is a retread. In fact, the way I have this movie listed down in my notes is Paranormal Activity 2, Toby Plays the Classics. Um, <laughs> yeah. There, there's a lot of retreading from the first one in it. So for folks who, so this one was never commercially released in the States. So for anyone who hasn't heard of it or hasn't seen it, just a really quick breakdown as far as what the initial premise is. So the movie opens with a guy by the name of Koichi Yamano, who is, I guess he's roughly like 18, 19. His older sister, Haruka, is coming back to Japan from a trip to San Diego. And when we meet her, she's confined to a wheelchair. Both her legs are in casts below the knees because she was in a car accident while she was over in the United States, broke both legs. She comes In San Diego. In San Diego. She comes back, is staying with her brother, so she has someone to care for. And then, you know, like every other movie in the Paranormal Activity franchise, it's predicated on a demon going, is that a camera? Is it on? Time for hijinks! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it it really does kind of follow the same, but it's not as well paced. No. By any stretch. But there's some some good things in it and some weird things. Like, Koichi is, is definitely the most proactive male lead in any of these films like dude is like something's weird well let's get on it and immediately you know he doesn't do anything worthwhile but he's trying to do stuff right, right from go he doesn't argue with her he's like yeah you're crazy a little bit of that but mostly he's just like cool and and yeah. he well she's it, trying to talk him out of a lot of it too right and he I has think a, going too far and he has a profit motive he's like this could be the greatest thing ever you know this is you know we can sell these things you know, like <laughs> i'm glad that somebody thought of that that's that's smart this kid's bright and then and it's funny because they're also brother and sister, which makes their arguments somewhat less vicious and uncomfortable than paranormal activity. But I don't, I don't really have a lot to say about it. I like the priest's hat when he comes in. Yeah, they bring in – so in this one, since it's in Japan, they bring in a Shinto priest to cleanse the house and they show him doing a ritual. And he tells him at the end of it, he's saying, well, congratulations, you're demon-free, you know, no more problems. And then I think they have like two or three days of – Four days. Four days. Four days. And then shit starts happening again. They say, we got to get that priest back. Call out, find out. Oh, he's dead. Which is, it's one of the big divergent things in that one versus the rest of the stuff is that the demon isn't confined to the house. It's not confined to her. Like the priest and and the psychic in the first one don't get whacked. They just never come back. They're like, okay, we'll, we'll hear you and we'll leave. And this one, the, the guy gets killed. And the ending well, it reminds doesn't me of, really function as a paranormal activity movie either. That reminds me a bit like of the grudge kind of way. It's like yeah. it's, it's not so much – while it might be anchored to a location or in this case potentially a person, it's anybody who comes in contact with them can become infected and take it off with them just to die on their own. Yeah, and it's it functions a lot more like that because the, the ending scene, it's actually sort of funny the way it plays out. So Yeah, this gets into kind of how Toby got there to begin with in this movie. Um, yeah. So the reveal is about two thirds of the way through. So they establish at the opening that Haruka was in a car accident, broke both her legs. Car accident was Katie from Paranormal Activity One huh. was wandered into a street and got hit by a car. Do they actually and, have the same actress? No, she she's doesn't appear in it. She just mentions that would be phenomenal. They, she mentions, you know, I, <laughs> she's I, dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is completely divergent continuity. They establish that Katie's dead in this. 
She mentions to her brother that, you know, I, I hit this woman named Katie. That's when all this stuff started. And this was my second favorite thing about the movie is all the initial phenomenon that started with, you know, the noises and the wheelchair moving around. She tells her brother when she's confessing how this started, she says, you know, initially I, I didn't think it was anything with me. I just thought it was the hospital I was staying at. What a commentary on the American healthcare system <laughs> that Japanese people can go to a hospital for two broken legs, see wheelchairs moving around and demons screaming in the background and think that's ah, American healthcare for you. <laughs> so in a way, not activity too completely timely. Yeah. My, my, probably my favorite thing about the movie was the end because it does. So it's very similar scene. He's, he's in the room. He's screaming downstairs, goes find her. It's silent. And then his ass gets thrown into the room. They clearly like that scene. And right. he's lying there and she comes up behind him and has kind of like a demon. She gets up and walks on her two fractured legs, which is really yeah. uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's just so hard when you're to a watch. demon, you don't care what the body's feeling. Yeah. And it's, it's very, it's got that kind of awkward movement. Disjointed nonlinear. Disjointed nonlinear yeah. movement that, that's kind of prevalent in at least the Japanese horror movies I've seen. So anyway, so she's behind him in a very, very reminiscent of the end of the first one. Mm-hmm. Then he opens his eyes. And it fades. And That's it? Yeah. No, yeah. yeah it keeps and, going. It's and a, then it cuts to a scene in a morgue. No, in between uh, then, it cuts to, so he gets that's up. That's right, he gets he up bolts and bolts out it. and he's that's taking it. the camera with him. And we now, because now we get to my favorite part of the movie. The hospital bit's my second favorite part. My favorite part of the movie is he's running into the streets. Presumably she's chasing him, but we, we're just seeing things from his POV. I love that he, he stops, stops at the front door to put on his shoes too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And he runs into the street. And he encounters the chillest cab driver in Japan because <laughs> this man is flailing into the streets, runs in front of the, waves this cab down, throws open the door to the cab. And the guy says, you know, where'd you like to go? And he says, anywhere, anywhere. Take me anywhere. And this cab driver, just in the most mellow voice, hi, wakarimashita. Got it. And <laughs> off he goes. And then he gets about 20 feet and the sister runs out. They car hits her, I believe. She rolls over the hood and the car ends yeah. up veering in, into a telephone pole comes to a stop, and then we cut to CCTV footage of a mortuary. So once it cuts to the mortuary, it's it's an overhead shot, and you see a body that's covered up, and then doctor comes in with the guy and, you know, says, essentially, take your time. So he walks in there, and he's looking at it, and he's, you know, presumably identifying the body of his sister or possibly his dad, who they found stuffed in a... Uh, he's stuffed in a closet, yeah. And then he... Pulls back the sheet, and it's the cab driver. Aww. And then he gets yanked off into the darkness and screams. And then the sister, you know, on the two fractured legs, staggers into the room out of the darkness. See, yeah, that, that, just, into the camera. that just points me, because, like, my takeaway from this was I want to see a movie with the cab driver now. Like, eight vignettes of him just pulling up, like, the most random, terrifying things. There it's might like, be a prequel. Hey, one of them happens to be this one. Drives into. Drives into the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Can see Leatherface swinging yeah. a chainsaw around. He just, hi, Bacadimasta. She gets in and drives away. So There's a franchise waiting to happen here is all I'm saying. The one one of the things, just one other note on that, that really bothered me throughout the movie is that it keeps doing fade outs. Yes. Um, Which is not something you do in found footage. Goichi apparently did a lot of post-production on the movie. Although it does have – so. The first paranormal activity has just, you know, the static camera aside from when Mike is holding it. And then every sequel after that does something that kind of pivots or adds to it a bit. This one has that too, kind of, where they have two concurrent cameras. So he starts with a camera in his sister's room and then adds one for him 
And then when he adds the second camera, now you have two shots side by side. So it's kind of fun that even this one, the sort of tertiary sequel to the franchise, even it has something that's kind of a unique gimmick to it. It wasn't bad. I didn't hate watching it. It's not great. It's not necessarily worth tracking down if you're a completist. Maybe uh, I, I am a completist, but not that much so. I, I can live without this one. Yeah, it, it's it's a separate genre. It feels like like in the same vein, just parts like a of loose it. connection. Just the ending and the rest yeah. of it is like I said. It's it's very much a, the scares are very much a retread. Like it's Toby plays the classics. He does <laughs> what I call. I just have in my notes. He does the old poltergeist where he turns the TV on. He does the old slamma slamma where he slams the door. Give him the old tuggy tuggy where he pulls him right out of the bed and gives her the old chompa chompa where he bites him on the arm. And so he's, he's just got his playbook and it's just, he's just enjoying his vacation in Japan. Yeah. And it's, so I, I, like I said, I enjoyed it. It was fine. It wasn't as good as the actual in canon paranormal activity too, which isn't necessarily great, but it's a pretty decent movie. Now, paranormal activity too, they changed the writer. Yes. So for Paranormal Activity 2, there's a lot of folks who work on it, but there's two particularly important names that come into play on 2 that are going to be important for the rest of the franchise. There's a bunch of writers who worked on it, but one of the writers who worked on the screenplay is Christopher Landon. Christopher Landon is going to work on the screenplay for all of them from here on out up until Ghost Dimension. Ghost Dimension, he doesn't have an official credit on. He might have done uncredited rewrites. And then he directs the marked ones, which we'll get into in a bit. The other name that's important on the second one would be Gregory Plotkin, who is the editor. And he edits all of them right up till Ghost Dimension. And then for Ghost Dimension, he directs. Should have kept editing. Yep. Should have. And then funnily enough, on a side note, in terms of someone who had kind of a similar past. So did anyone see who the director, the, the final director we ended up with on this movie is a guy by the name of Todd Williams, who hasn't done an enormous amount, did a movie by, uh, before this by the name of The Door and the Floor. But I think that's pretty much the extent of it. But did anyone else look up who was on the shortlist for directors before they settled on Todd Williams? No, no. All right. So there were a few names bandied about. Brad Anderson was one of them who would have made a lot of sense. He's the guy who did session nine. Nice. Uh, Greg McLean, who at that point would have done uh, Wolf Creek over in Australia. Um, he's since done a few movies in the, the, the States, but apparently like the final three were Akiva Goldsman, who Jake is fond of from writing the screenplay to the dark tower movie. Uh, <laughs> they let that person have jobs uh quite a few well at this point he was still oscar nominated from uh he did the screenplay for a beautiful mind so and what that, happened <laughs> uh, yeah, his, that's got to be a story yeah it's his filmography is is fascinating um, dark tower is one of the few movies that has a worse script than like batman versus superman funnily enough he also <laughs> wrote batman and robin Batman and Robin was better than Dark Tower. <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to our Stephen but, King retrospective episode so much. Batman and Robin was the one with the bat nipples, right? Yeah, that was. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was like Mr. Freeze. Terrible yeah. movie. He worked on Batman yes. Forever, too, but but I think Batman and Robin, he had sole screenwriter credit. So he was on the director credit. list for the Boy, is that the wrong word? <laughs> Shame. Um, hey, look, at least Batman and Robin had cool sets. True. And, and Coolio. Mainly so, Julio, yeah. So it had those two things going for it. Yeah, it, it, there were some positives. Dark Tower made a bad movie with Idris Elba. That's not even possible. That's like, <laughs> like you have to perform rituals to do that. <laughs> you have to try to make a bad film. So Kiva Goldsman was one of the guys on the short list. Didn't get it. Got a producer credit. Brian De Palma was what? on the short list for this movie. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding. It's not that, that surprising. That would have been fascinating. Look it at the back been. half of De Palma's... 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, in, in terms of quality, it's... Career, it's not. Yeah, his quality is not great, but in, in conceptually, you're taking the guy who's known for you know, his Hitchcockian homages and his elaborate camera setups, and you're giving him the franchise where the camera never moves. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that was he was a fan or if it was someone trying to do him a solid, but he was on the list at one point. I would bet the latter. Like, he is a long way from Untouchables. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The- Sorry, Brian. I love the Untouchables, <laughs> but man. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Things got dark. And the third guy on the list was Kevin Grutert. Now, Kevin Grutert got the job for this. Kevin Grutert was the editor on the Saw franchise for Saw 2, 3, and 4, and 5, and then he directed Saw 6. He was going to direct this movie after Saw 6, and then Lionsgate executed a clause in his contract to force him to come back to do Saw 7. Hmm. And you might wonder, it was like, okay, well, he lost out directing Paranormal Activity 2, but he'd done a lot in the Saw franchise, so he was probably fine with it. I'm sure he made a lot of money off the Saw deal. And then I found what he posted on his blog about it, which was, quote, I just had the task of telling my 83-year-old mother that, no, I'm not going to be allowed to direct the movie that we were all so excited about when my family last got together, and that I'm being forced to leave town before getting a chance to see her again. I'll be filming people getting tortured yet again. Oh, my God. So we'll have to put off me making a film that my mother can actually watch for another year. Wow. So this might explain why Saw, the final Saw movie, was underwhelming even by Saw standards. Yep. So that's the only anecdote I had, but I thought for the parallel paths of the editors becoming directors on the final installments of the franchise was kind of fun for this one. That's yeah, that's that's fascinating. I, I'm really kind of curious to see how it would have changed with other people. I imagine if it was somebody like De Palma, it would be at least a little bit more kinetic yes, because yeah. it's it's I, I don't want to call the movie boring. But it it follows a lot of the same stuff from the first one, but it, it same spreads formula. it out yeah. more, which like, makes sense once you get to the end. Yeah, for sure. And and I look, I liked it. I liked it more when I saw it this time than I remember liking it the first time I saw it. Even though my first note is, I have almost no memory of this movie. <laughs> um, my second one is, everyone is always rich in horror movies. Well, to be oh, fair, yes. that that does fit the formula for this, though. Well, at least, to be fair, it fits the formula for the first three if you take them by themselves. With this entity, the, the lifestyle they live is part of why they're dealing with it. Yeah, to a degree. The idea is that the cult had summoned them in order for fame or money and power. Right, and this is yeah. the reward. But yeah. Katie and her sister got none of that. They got dead yeah. parents and uh, <laughs> shuffled yeah. off to you know being raised well, by a cult again, that they had no memory of. Again, you can you can make three work with that, but once you go past three, it completely throws all that out the window. One, yeah, two, and, and three, the- it's a pact with a demon, a singular demon that is to benefit the family and all those in the coven. And it's clear, or at least you can make it work, where the children and the women of the, of the matriarchy of the family aren't really brought into that fact until they're older. You can get that retroactively. What the second one establishes is just that Lois, Grandma Lois, made a deal with this demon for wealth. Yep. And in terms of the second movie, again, that we established looking at the first one, that it's not Katie's money they're dealing with. Nope. It's it's all Micah's money. So Toby is apparently a real sucker for contract verbiage. He's like, yeah, I'll give you wealth. It's not going to be you, Grandma Lois. It's not going to be a kid. But your grandchild is going to marry a guy who has a Burger King franchise. Well, no, no. Let's be clear here. If you actually, like, just to skip ahead a little bit, you know, the Grandma Lois's house with the guest house and the large acreage, you know, Grandma Lois has some funds or wealth. She is comfortable. She is well-to-do. 
And so is Christy. And so is Katie. How that happens, whether it's through their own actions or what's given to them through the people they interact with, doesn't change the fact that they are living very well-to-do, comfortable lives. Toby's all about the fine print. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, to be fair, but they also are involved with complete douchebags. Not part of the contract. Not not, not Toby's problem. We didn't read it. I'm just saying. Because they they established that the husband in this has, has the Burger King franchise, which is funny later when Micah... Apparently walks into a Burger King, drops his name, and they don't give him a free sandwich, and he's pissed about it. <laughs> Which somehow Micah is still being Michael after he's dead in movie two. And the fact that they drop Burger King by name specifically is I really hope there was a tie-in campaign between Paranormal Activity 2 and Burger King where they just show like CCTV footage of folks – you know, back in the kitchen and the guy sits down a tray of Whoppers, gets called away and the Whoppers just <laughs> burst into flames just like the Ouija board in the first one is introducing the Shook Whopper, the burger that flame broils itself. <laughs> it couldn't be as big as the uh, whatever deal they got for the Connect and the fourth oh, one. Oh, man. <laughs> or, oh, there was a video game. I forget what it was, like Dead Zone 2 or something in uh, the third one. Where every time you're in there, the little den working mm-hmm. on the stuff, there's the poster yep. of the video game. Talking about two a little bit, I do want to say that I, I liked their opening of thanking the families of the deceased right off the bat. Think it set the tone nicely. First one does that too. It doesn't thank the families. Of the, it says yeah. that all the footage is provided by the the police and yes. bad police and the yes. family. Yeah. yeah. So my favorite thing in two might be that it's the only one that has a Highlander quote in it. <laughs> When they're there early on, he says there can be only one. I forget the context because I was just real excited about there being a Highlander quote. I did like that the father in this, while a problematic skeptic, was vastly better than Micah right from the beginning. Like the chemistry between him and his wife made me very happy. Now, he obviously wasn't taking anything related to the occurrences seriously, but he gets his stuff together in the end. Yeah, it's as far as the dynamic between the characters, so I'll go a bit further than Jake did at the opening, which I, I did think this one was actually kind of boring. And one of the things I ran into, the problem with this one is, so this is ostensibly where you know, the franchise has gone Hollywood, basically, where now they've got more money, whatever. So the budget yeah, they could afford one, four security cameras uh, yeah. instead of one steady more camera. More cameras. Uh, more, <laughs> more banging in the background. More scratches. Um, this one had a budget of $3 million versus you know the first one, which was 15000 They say they didn't script this one. They said it was large. There was an interview with Todd Williams where he said it was improvised, just like they did on the first one. I don't really feel that. Not a fault of the actors, particularly in this one, but a lot of the interactions felt stilted to me. And it's not that the dialogue in the first one is particularly good, but since Katie and Micah were making up everything on the fly, it it did seem to have just kind of an energy to it that I thought this one was kind of missing a bit. Yeah. I don't think he, the husband, was a thousand times better than Micah. I think it would not be hard to be a thousand times better than Micah. (laughs) He was better in some ways, but I think he was just as kind of problematic and in some ways worse. Not in terms of his screen presence, but just his actions were more annoying than Micah's. He's distinctly against even acknowledging that something weird is happening. Well, no, he's clearly... He's, he's aggressive very, about that. He's aggressively against... He's also racist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's he's aggressively against religion. He's aggressively against anything occultish. He's very much a, I'm not even going to humor thoughts on this kind of thing, which obviously is problematic to the overall cause and problem at hand. 
It's also um, problematic but, to his marriage. I mean, that's before he gets his neck broken. <laughs> but those aside, uh, I mean, that aspect of him is very particular, I feel. Everything around that, I could see why he's still together with his wife and they actually have warm moments. Whereas Micah, I just wanted Katie to be stepping on his throat through the entire film. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But it's it, it has the same problem where he just – he doesn't – Micah viewed it all as a challenge. This guy just doesn't take his wife seriously at all, particularly his her concerns and her her fears and her frustrations. He's just like, yeah, whatever. This is – you're being crazy. This is crazy talk. and We're not going to talk about it. I have spoken. Well, I feel that in that case, it's like he doesn't take her concerns seriously. Whereas Micah doesn't acknowledge Katie as a person that should matter to him. <laughs> yeah. He, he's better than Micah. That's, that's but, my point. But that's not, my takeaway. not by much. He's, he's bad in different ways. And it, it really bothered me when, when the, the housekeeper is, is like, yeah, it's something bad here. I'm just going to sage stuff and, you know, we'll call it a day. And he's like, no, you're fine. And he fires her for saging the house. It's I don't really want that quick. Stuff. It's and really And then he hardcore. makes the comment about slaughtering goats. And yeah. it's like, how racist is this asshole? Now, you know, you want to see these movies avoid the magical ethnic person trope. Yep. But it, they didn't. It was very heavy there. And it it's just not – like that whole sequence is not – like I, I probably would have not even included that if I was making the movie. But it just makes him look bad. And I, I don't know. It, it bothered me. One thing about her and the sage I noticed, I was paying close attention to the knights. And how things were gearing up and when they stopped and such. And I think the movie does a very good job of showing that her saging the house actually worked. It's one of the only like two moments where things stop ramping up and actually pause for a while. When she sages the house, it goes away for a number of days. And then it's slowly kind of like those periods get shorter and shorter as it's building up steam again and starting to get back in the swing of things. In fact, the only time it really has another large break is when the baby is literally slid out of the damn crib and, like, the daughter is locked out of the house. You know, when it's just yeah. that big moment. And and that really comes across more as it overspent itself. Like, it did such a big thing, it needs to recoup because it needs to get its energy back. So it was it was interesting to see the dynamics of it and what it responded to um, in this film. And apparently dogs work as protection. Yep, dogs work. <laughs> and, yeah, Martine has her shit down in, yes. in this one. And she's the one who helps them. With the banishing at the end, which involves, you know, taking the crucifix and covering it up in olive oil, which I found interesting because a later movie establishes that to summon a demon, you need the blood of a virgin. But second one, we find out to banish it, what you need is extra virgin. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it's, it's something that happens throughout all the films, really. Well, except, I guess, Tokyo Nights is that the forces of good that come in actually do help a little bit. Yes. Yep. They just don't lean into the, that they're just like oh this is cool and then the demon's well, like oh you should have you should have finished the job <laughs> and towards towards the end of two they, they encounter that too like the way that they are able to calm her down is with the crucifix yeah he actually has to use that to, to have a chance of bringing things back into his perspective yeah but um, none of them think about getting an exorcism <laughs> i did like the fact that while this creates conflict with the later films looking at just one and two it almost feels like when the house is just totally wrecked and, and torn asunder, and that's why they get the cameras, that it really felt like there was this great, violent, eruptive moment where it pushed itself into existence, like where it crossed the veil. I think it's that, the coven trashes their house is sort of implied later on. Later yeah. on. And, and even, yeah. I mean, 
Well, yeah. my read of it initially well, was that they the demons had brought in that's a retcon. I thought that Toby had just brought in a temp for that because we know from the first one that Toby is all about the slow burn. Mm-hmm. And I thought they for the second one it was like, all right, we're going to send the temp in and see how he does it. And he just <laughs> blah, 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 and broke stuff up. And like, no, no, you're, dude, fired. you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And then later in the movie, they're like, all right, we're going to give you one more shot in the kitchen. What we want you to do is just open one door slowly and really creep her out. Can you do that? And he just goes, bam, and opens all the doors at once. And they're like, dude, you're fired. I'm, I'm sorry. And Toby just has to do it himself see, from there on out. Because while in three, the place is ransacked, and the only thing is missing is the tapes, which leads you into the whole premise. And the first one is just the necklace. And it feels like that would be like the cult coming to get that. And the second one, it's just the necklace. The sis- they never sister's come back necklace. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Why did they take the necklace? We, it, we circle back to the tapes. The third one establishes tapes, which we'll get to retroactively that we're in the house. But the second one establishes specifically the necklace. It's only the necklace is missing. And yeah. it's something she had as a child. You almost feel like maybe it was some sort of marker, like designating her as the next of the line for this thing to follow. Until a male heir is born. That has interest. That has value. And they totally throw that away in the third one and go, never mind, we're going to go a different direction with this. Well, that, yeah. That's a big part of these, just stepping away from this particular movie, is that the continuity doesn't make sense. It keeps trying to recreate itself. They, and it and it breaks itself in the process. Yeah, they never really work out what's going on or how it works. They just keep, keep trying to sort of out-clever themselves. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, in the, the last one, in Ghost Dimension, they just, I mean, well, oof. We'll get into it. <laughs> but it, it's, but they, they really feel like they don't care about being sloppy in the beginning. and They don't be, care about being sloppy at the end. As long as the middle, everything that you deal with, it works and functions. Well, that's because in the two, three, four, and five is all the one dude. Yep. And then one and six are different people. Yep. To, to a degree. Many different people, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the second one and the ghost dimension both have like four or five credited screenwriters. Yeah, but the one guy I read an interview with him where he's talking about he was largely in charge of the the mythology mm. and how it works. And I I think he got outvoted a lot, which explains four. But <laughs> well, I'm gonna. But there, to... it never what 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 really it comes down to is it never really establishes rules. Well, the problem not is, real ones, not in any any particular way. Not that in a it, concrete yeah, fashion. That it, it moves from even what the what Toby can do. Yeah, if, isn't the same, or his goals, or you know the purpose of what's going on. Well, it's because it's it's literally two different stories colliding somewhere around three or four. Because if I'm going to talk about this now, so if you look at one, two, and three, you could very easily say this is a story about an entity, Toby, that has somehow garnered some deal with this familial line, and is now looking to exact its price for what it's given for them. Well, you want to argue how that was made or what they actually got out of it, that's fine. But that's the general premise. Toby is here, ready to make his mark, keep his deal, get what's owed to him. You can then take the movies three and up and instead say, this is one ringmaster demon working with multiple other minor demons and entities that is looking to create an army that is going to come forth and wreak havoc. It's no longer a singular family pact. It is an actual demonic incursion and assault on our world. It's totally different intentions and and strategies. And I feel if you take them in those sets, either just watch one, two, and three, or three and up, I think you can appreciate them better from a logical standpoint, and your brain can wrap around it easier. It's well, I think less that's of a the whole point. Car crash. You, you have mm-hmm. to you have to remove some logic from yes. it, or or the idea that 
because it's a franchise that it has linear rules and things like that because the, the movies just don't. And that's – I don't know that it's necessarily a huge problem, but if it's – No, there's a lot of fun regardless. Yeah, like if, if you want something to make sense, like I imagine something like Saw tends to establish kind of at least rules that are pretty concrete throughout the thing. Certainly the first three Return of the Living's Dead did and this one kind of plays at that. But they're way too in- invested in outclevering themselves each movie with how the how the movie is shot that it never really works out that like because you look at four you know and the demon shows up as a bit as a kid mm-hmm. you know whereas in Ghost Dimension it's a blob of you know black ectoplasm and you know that slowly takes human form so like you want there to be continuity because you know it's these movies and they they try to play at it but they never sat down and it it wouldn't have been that hard no mm-hmm. it's not like these are complicated stories choices you know and two but two tries its hardest to establish a continuity yes. and an idea and and like you and said and three follows along with that and it, it falls down a little bit after that there's still things that that you can if you work at it and squint, that kind of makes sense. No, you can you can fit three in either direction. Yeah, the three to me is the turning point, the linchpin. It, it, you have to have three, but then you need to make a choice about which path you're taking. And you you can do it with four a bit too, but it you you got to squint a little harder. No, that ending kills four. I hate four. <laughs> four is there is so much wrong. We'll get back to four. Yeah. four All right. Anyway, awful. so so back to two. <laughs> Two, it's an even slower burn than the first one. Like the pacing is just not mm-hmm. as good as what they did with the original or the third one or I would argue even the fourth one. It's just – it's more awkwardly paced. The family is interesting but there's there's more frustration for me in the second one than in probably all the rest of the films. And I say that even including Ghost Dimension because Ghost Dimension halfway through just decides it's going to be terrible. <laughs> I'm not frustrated with that. It makes it makes choices and it's like, okay, I'm not well, mad. whatever. I'm just disappointed. Well, like, <laughs> but there's, there's individual scenes. Like, so there's the scene we, we referenced it earlier where she gets locked out of the house mm-hmm. and the baby gets pulled out of the crib. Really well done. It's all so on creepy. tape. They have this. They can see this. They can sit down and watch this happen. Mm-hmm. And the father freaks out at her, and she's saying, "You know, just watch." And they refuse to watch the tapes. Like, just watch this. He's like, "You look." And eventually, she watch, makes him, you know, watch the door slam. And he's like, "Ah, oh, it's the wind or whatever." And it's it's so frustrating because by that point, they've seen so much, and they have this stuff on tape to capture this stuff. And she is one hundred percent right. And he's over here, do do yeah, no, it's nothing. <laughs> You're just being crazy. Well, he's the you eternal know, skeptic. You know, yeah. he, he, he's, but he he's the biggest sh- turtle. Shouldn't be, and he should have stopped that with the damn pool cleaner, yes. which is my favorite part of two, the fact that it's just teasing the dude by taking the pool cleaner out of the pool <laughs> each night, <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's the most definitive middle finger from Toby <laughs> <laughs> to somebody without being violent. He's just like, ah, oh, screw you, idiot. Oh yeah, it's on the ground again. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Keep the dog inside. You know, I mean, it's... <laughs> well, Toby, I feel... The dog one, who is the hero of film, too. I, yep. I feel Toby's intentions is most clear in three. It's very well detailed and very obvious what yeah. his triggers are, what his intentions are, what he's trying to do. In well, two, three is the one where they realize they have a franchise. <laughs> in yeah. two, it was very much a... It was building this slow, uncomfortable environment 
to I hate twos and tensions with Toby. It's my problem. Because what's the goddamn point? I mean, it's okay. Well, so it makes I, sense. I, I he wants the male heir. No, yeah, I know. But that's then why what he is he trying promised. to take over the mom? Right. Well, he's not, he There's really... no point to it. <laughs> There's zero point to taking over the mom. You know, it, it's almost that's a small like, bag, man. No, it's like I'm going to take over this person and take care of this kid, which clearly is not being done by the loving family in the really big house with everything they could possibly want. The intentions <laughs> don't make sense in that case. Well, you're never going to turn bad if you've got a nice pool. No, I mean, okay. So if you, one can make the argument that it needs to take over a host so it can take over that host. But no, that doesn't work. It's like, just take over the kid. And if you need to wait to do that, then wait. But no. Yeah, isn't there something they mentioned later like it can't take over kids? Am I imagining that? I don't recall I don't that. remember that. No. Um the one thing I wanted to ask about um, the second one in terms of the, the possession thread with Toby trying to take over Christy, who is Katie's sister from the first one. Did they establish in this that Katie and Christy's mother, Grandma Lois, or, or that their grandmother, rather, Grandma Lois, did they establish that whether or not she's still alive? I don't think no, they did. No, it doesn't so come up. Here's my point. So the, the ending but of this movie. she's still alive in one. Yeah, she's still alive in one. We don't know. And so presumably she's still alive in two. Two takes place before one. Correct. Yes, it does. The, the so she of- better be alive. <laughs> well, they have bigger problems in this family. And then we're dovetailing with last podcast, <laughs> Return of the Living Grandma. Yeah. So they establish in this one at the end that they can't banish the demon from Christy, but they can push it into another blood relative. And I think that's all they say is specifically that it's another blood relative. And he says, all right, well, we'll push it to Katie. Just push it onto the helicopter, Grandma, man. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, Katie and Christie's mom is clearly alive. There, Katie and Christie's grandmother, I'm unaware. Okay. Even so, the yeah. mom more so. Push it into the mother-in-law. Mom, yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because the mom dies in three. Um. Well, well she, she is thrown down the stairs. stairs. And not seen to respond after that. It's implied that she's killed. It's implied that she's killed, but she is blatantly... In one, Micah flat out says, can we not have your mom come over anymore then? So one establishes... Now, this might just be a writing faux pas and and a complete contradiction. But one implies that their mother is still alive and Mike is not fond of her. So three could be mom went down the stairs. Mom was in a trance when she got thrown down the stairs anyway. You know, and Dennis got up pretty quick after that incident, too. So there's a, yeah. there's a decent chance that mom is fine, just not involved in the story immediately thereafter. Although, Ghost Mention continues the, the thread that she's probably dead. It's so all over the yeah, place. It's, yeah. it's a bit of a mess. Yeah, These movies are so much better by themselves individually yeah. but than they are as a whole. If the mother is alive, surely this guy is constantly complaining about how his mother-in-law is a demon. Why not make his mother-in-law an actual demon <laughs> when given the opportunity? Well, if we establish she's the one with the money, (laughs) putting it into Katie might uh, be more of an inheritance (laughs) move than anything else. (laughs) There were some um, continuity things I did appreciate that two fixed in one. So in one, at one point, they go up and they look in the attic and they find the picture of Katie burnt on the edges. That was clearly a moment from her childhood. And she's like, oh, I thought we lost all of this in the fire when we were kids. I'm like, so what? This... Ghost has been just holding on to this, like, uh, forget-me-not picture of her in some <laughs> side dimension. And said, so, you know what? I'm going to leave it in the attic. dimension, Nick. Because that's the, <laughs> that's the best place to leave it for her to find someday is in the attic. You know, it, it just made no sense. Yeah. It, it didn't seem to fit. Well, that's where and Toby then, was sleeping. And then in Paranormal Activity 2, they establish 
oh, this wasn't lost in the fire. They still did have the photo. And then it gets used as part of the ritual at the end of two mm-hmm. to summon it. So now this picture, which we can at least trace back to about a month before, at least, versus decades, you know, yeah. is showing up in the attic. That made more sense to me. That worked better. So here's another another knock on the father being worse than Micah. At no point did Micah suggest, maybe we can put this demon into your sister. <laughs> <laughs> Which I would argue is worse than anything Micah did. Well, did even we- looking like Kevin O'Connor. Okay. It, it- <laughs> I, I realize I maybe should not be going to his defense with this, but one could make the oh, argument. Oh, I'm excited. I'm one excited. One could make the argument that he had finally broken his concept of reality, has crumbling around him. All this stuff was real. He was having a breakdown and took the only option presented to him. Or, I get my wife back. I don't care what it takes. Or he's a consistent asshole throughout <laughs> the movie, and it's an asshole move. Like, think about, think about the scene after he, he yells and screams at his daughter for lying about stuff that's easily provable that she's not. <laughs> when he's down in breakfast, she comes down and grabs some orange juice, and he's like, good morning, and she doesn't answer it, and he's upset. He's like, why isn't she talking to me? I'm like, how big of a buffoon are you? <laughs> you just called your daughter a liar and, you know, a terrible sibling and all. Maybe I just, I just, I just think he's a bad Micah, dude. Because I'll admit, even like 10 minutes into this film, where they, they establish like the first birthday party, you know, and Katie shows up without Micah. I'm like, of course that douchebag's not there. <laughs> <laughs> like, from the from the word go, it's like the husband kind of like being sweet with the wife and Micah not being there. I'm now, just like, no, no, duh. <laughs> now, aside, there is another Micah moment in this that's particularly bad that doesn't play in his favor. Which is, And besides the, the him walking into a Burger King and dropping the guy's name to get a free Whopper. When you first see Micah in this, he's behind a camera. And they're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, him having this expensive camera. Do you remember what the first shot is of him when they cut to it of him filming? Remind me. It's Allie's chest in the pool. Yep. Oh, yep. It cuts yep. to that and it's very clearly Micah filming her chest in the pool. Yep. And it's uncomfortable. Yep. So no, he's, he's a raging douchebag. Yeah. But so is the dad. That's my my large point is that these are both terrible people who when they get I, stabbed or get their next scale here. I'm not saying the dad is like, you know, father of the year. Mike is only ruining one person. This, piece of shit. this guy's ruining his whole family. <laughs> and he tries to kill his sister. No. Micah, in the end, is just trying to protect his house and his property, which is another problem. <laughs> They're both sexist. Well, my, I would say Mike is a sociopath. It's all about him. I don't, know that, I don't know that he's a sociopath. I think he's just a dude, bro. But anyway. Then the third one, at least we get to pivot away from toxic masculinity. Yeah, so okay. so that's, that's yeah, I would well, say that be- the third one before is. Before we branch away from the second one, though, we need to address the kitchen scene. One of the best special effects in the second one. Oh, with all the drawers popping when, open? When she's just sitting there in the kitchen, finally alone in the house, and she hears a noise, she turns, and every damn door and drawer in the kitchen just flies the hell open. It was fantastic. Fantastic. Not and every. It, and it got me every time. It's 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 most of them, but it's, it leaves the oven. And it bothered me. It was like, well, that's dangerous. I'm not going to open the <laughs> oven. You have a gas leak. <laughs> I need this house intact, damn no, it. No, 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 no. Just the wood. Just the wood. <laughs> yeah, see, it's funny because that's the scene that people told me about before I saw it. I said, it's mostly boring, but there's this one great scene. And then I watched the movie. And I honestly didn't know what anybody was talking about afterwards. I had to ask. It's all right. I think it's fine. I like it in, what is it, three, 
when she looks in the kitchen, looks up, and then the entire kitchen falls. That was great. Yeah, that's oh, that's that a better ver- that's a better version of that scene. So I agreed. I, like I understand why you liked gorgeous. it. For me, it was just like eh. the thing that my last note that bugged me about two. And again, I like this movie. I you know taken on its own, I think it's fine. It's a slow slower burn than it should be. But when she gets dragged. It's so good. It's so good. But then they show her later, and all she's got is the one bite. Yeah, you yeah. get your you get dragged downstairs by your you're face. Gonna you're gonna have some bruises and a black eye. That's I mean, even if Toby's protecting you, he dragged her down. She went. Yeah, two sets of stairwells because she gets dragged from upstairs to downstairs and then down into the basement. Yeah, I get bruised if I bang into a wall. You know, turning around, she got dragged down to the basement. I got. Two more things I think I want to say about this movie. First, they do establish that Hunter is the first male of the line since the 30s, which leads to why things might be picking up now versus before, although three kind of tosses They, the they, they explicitly say that. Yeah, right? they explicitly yeah. say that. Also, did you catch the Ouija board moment in this movie? Yes. Yes. Did you catch what it was trying to say? Well, yeah. Well, Because at first, the, the, the boyfriend moves it and spells pussy, which, of course, is, is his joke and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then she blows off what it's trying to say next, because the question to the board is, what, what do, you, do want? you want? Yeah. And and, it, and the board actually takes over the second time. Yeah, and spells Hunter. And starts playing Hunter. But she, but she misses that completely, because yeah. she thinks he's saying Pussy Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, that was clever. <laughs> we don't know that it was the boyfriend spelling that pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Toby Sooner, give me that, give me that thing. I've, I've been lonely a long time. <laughs> yeah, this could be a Yuratsuiki Doji situation. <laughs> but I think it's well established that, you know, Ouija's and activities, Toby has things to say and he wants to be heard. And he has, he has opinions. I have a note about that, which is that someday I want a horror movie where the Ouija board doesn't harbinge doom. <laughs> Just once. It's not the Ouija franchise. Yeah. Hi, how y'all doing? Which is, you know, a trigger for me, apparently. But then, overall, it's a decent movie it's not terrible it's it does some it has some effective scenes yes uh it it suffers from the same problem of generally unlikable characters but then the third one rolls around and the third one actually made more money than the second one the third one was quite a bit yeah i think the third the second one was 175 million and i think this one broke 200 yes and it it does something that you kind of would hope for at this point because the the movies they started in you know 2006 and they just keep moving their way backward this one jumps all the way back to 1988 mm-hmm. and it's about the girls growing up and their mother and their mother's boyfriend the movies consistently work backwards right. for the first three yeah and although i guess it, i guess it starts with them finding the box of videos it starts with yeah it's a flashback to the sequence in two where they come home and the house has been ransacked and and instead of it cutting to the sequence of her mentioning missing the necklace, they they retroactively edit in the yeah, sequence because, and saying, "Oh, those tapes are missing." Because Katie shows up in the third one with the tapes. Yes, and she's like, mm-hmm. "You know, I have these. Like, where'd you get those? Grandma gave them to me. What? Yeah, she's <laughs> like, looking for a place to storm for right. Yeah. So she stores the tapes there, and instead of the necklace, that's what's taken. Yep. Yeah, and then so they go to. They jump back at that point to 1988. They start watching the tapes. Yeah, Katie's eighth birthday, I think, is the yeah. first one you get to see. Yeah. At this point, we cut to yeah VHS footage of these tapes that have been found. It's not established who's watching the films. It's just sort of like, because you know, the tapes have disappeared, and now it's like, now you, the viewer at home, can experience what the tapes were. No, it's not established who's viewing it, which is, and obviously, so when it starts, it's they give it kind of a bit of the visual grain that you would have on the VHS, but that goes away pretty quickly. Yeah. And it goes into standard footage. So you can do that as, well, we don't know. 
technically there's nobody watching the tapes. It's just you, the viewer. I like to think that the Carlsbad Police Department spent a crap load of state funds <laughs> on a 4K remaster where there's just a cop sitting there somewhere. It's like, yeah, you know, I should probably be out solving some crimes, but I'm really cleaning up the interlacing on this. And uh, <laughs> Well, that's sort of the implication in the first two is that these are police films. Yeah, they, yes. they thank the police you know. department. Yep. And yeah, with this one, they, they do away with that because, yeah, it starts, it starts with the break in, starts with them mentioning that the box of tapes is gone. And then they jump back to 88 and into a very nice house for a guy who's a wedding videographer. Yep. Yep. Because everybody in horror movies is rich, even when they talk about being poor. Again, I believe the wife is divorced. Her, well, they mention it's it's her money in this one because there's right. a sequence with Grandma Lois and them. Yeah. Yeah. Because the family yeah, oh, yeah, is she rich. says living off your credit card. Right. Yep. Right. It's, it's essentially the, the family is living off the wealth of the grandmother and pulling in. Well, not so much the wedding be- uh, photographer this time. But also pulling in other wealth sources from around them. It's funny that the grandma actually makes a reference in the film going, uh, she doesn't like Dennis because he is poor. It, it's like she feels that she wants him, her to be with someone who has some more money. It, it implies to me that the value is in things and wealth and acquisition, which would very be, would fit the, mo- the motif of, hey, let's get together with a demon and get what we can out of this because that's all that matters. Yeah. Did you watch the uh, extras on the tape? No. On the, the DVR or whatever, the, the Blu-ray. I'll just, I'm just going to keep listing things. Until <laughs> <I'm just right. laughs> on the Laserdisc? Did you watch the extras on the Laserdisc? One, Let's talk one, about the trailer section. <laughs> well, no, one of the one of the extras is um an ad for his video services. Really? Yeah. Nice. It's, it's hilarious. It's so bad. <laughs> you know, and all I can think is the people who made this weren't alive in 1988. They think 1988 was like the dark ages. <laughs> but it's 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 still pretty funny. It's it's I thought it was clever that they they had that. Right in the very beginning of the uh, the movie, right after the birthday party, the scene where uh, Christy has her loose tooth and she just keeps pushing it forward with her tongue is oh, the most yeah. grody thing ever. <laughs> I'm like, they totally brought her in that day. She goes, look what I can do. And they're like, get the camera. This is happening. <laughs> I am down for this. Let's freak out everyone with like, you know, mouth issues. <laughs> <laughs> the um, But, I, you know, I, I like the way that it kind of establishes itself, you know, and it gives you some information right up front. Like, he's not their dad. Yep. Yep. It's the first one that names Toby Toby. That's true. Because she wants them to leave the bowl out for him while she's eating her ice cream. She wants a bowl for Toby right there on the uh, the birthday uh, celebration. And it it also – it really tells you that this is the one that's going to be about the mythology. Yep. And you get it right up front because the grandmom is in it and she – She's talking about how much she hates the sun, and then she drops the line, you always wanted a son. Mm -hmm. She knows what's going on. (laughs) She's pushing for it. But to be fair, if you're going to go this far back in time with this franchise, you best be talking about the origins because otherwise, what's the point? (laughs) Endless stream of, hey, you know, it's 1500s. Oh, you know, you should have a son. Like, wait, we ever explain this crap or not? (laughs) (laughs) It also probably my favorite, one of my two or three favorite jump scares in the entire series takes in it's in the first 10 minutes of this movie when he thinks he hears a noise and he gets his his partner and they're walking around the house and then she jumps out of the closet at him oh with the mask with <laughs> yeah. the mask on i love that funny enough like i said i paid close attention to when toby responded to events and what the triggers were toby does not like being mocked yeah. toby took her action as an insult didn't appreciate it and it's seen because um everything happens the next night kind of centers around her like when she's left alone, her door closes and things ha- and noises are happening around her. Toby is very prideful is what it comes through in everything he does in this movie. 
He doesn't like to be mocked. He doesn't like to be ignored. Well, think how much work he puts into this stuff, man. You got to take pride in your efforts. (laughs) This guy is good at pacing. As a demon, he's, you know, it's like, look, this is how you do it, guys. Come on. You don't just walk in. You're not Godzilla. (laughs) The slow burn is an art. (laughs) This uh, this guy is the the bolero of demons. (laughs) I did like the first introduction showing you that this this is real during the earthquake when the dust settles on him. Yeah. That was a nice effect. Well, I also like that the, the guy sees it. Yeah. And he's like, this is unusual. And he doesn't immediately go, hmm, well, time for lunch. It was nice. Must having, be the wind standing still. <laughs> it was nice having one of the male leads not be a skeptic this time around. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he was a good guy. I love Dennis. Now, the thing yeah, about Dennis, he was a great, you know, uh, stand-in father for the kids. He was lovely to his wife. His uh, Dennis's only flaw, really, is not keeping her up to speed with what's going on with the tape because he's worried she can make him stop. Yeah, that, that's that's his one fatal flaw in the movie. But they're also interesting characters, and that's yes. one of the things that number Decent three people. has that a lot of the movies in this franchise don't is that they're actually kind of interesting characters, and when they interact with each other, they actually feel like a couple. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like two actors. I, I thought. No, I agree with that. And the other thing I think this movie has going for it beyond the second one is that the kids in this one I actually think are quite good for what they have to do. The, the kid actors who play young Christy and Katie. I think they actually, for a movie where they're forced to you know interact with an invisible figure and do this, again, I don't know to the degree they say this one was improv. I, I imagine less than the previous ones because this one is credited just to Christopher Landon as a screenwriter. So it was probably more scripted, but I thought the kids did quite a good job. Agreed. Considering the the laced in references to the mythology, I think this one was far more scripted than than the other ones. I do do like one of the the tricks that they do with kids throughout the movie is that in order to keep them interested, you know, whenever you see a kid, they always walk up to kind of the camera and then look up. Yeah. So they're right there. So you don't see them like looking at air. You're looking at like their chin. You know, we're looking at, you know, and they're looking right off camera at something, which could just be their parents saying, you know, look here, kid, you know, waving a little toy or something at them. Mm-hmm. And so it's a good way to keep kids in line, I imagine. <laughs> I think it's important to establish why Toby is here in the first place. One and two. One, it's not clear. Two explains why Toby shows up to Katie because of the ritual at the end of two. And two happens because they had the firstborn heir, uh, male heir. Three, you don't have a male heir. You just have the, the you know, why is this deal with this <laughs> demon you have? rampaging the family in some fashion um, when the deal isn't done yet. Like he has no reason to. There is a continuing ritual to this that for its benefits and the pact to be continued, it needs to marry the next in line. Mm-hmm. It needs to be, now that Christy is old enough, it needs to have some sort of bonding with her to continue the, the, the situation down the line. And that's why it shows up in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then... That in and of itself might have been fine, except everything Dennis is doing also antagonizes it, and the whole thing gets revealed and then forces them to raise the ante and deal with Dennis before moving on with their lives. (laughs) (laughs) So, Because theoretically, Toby goes away after this movie and doesn't bother them again until they're all adults again and Hunter is born. Yeah, and I I think in some effects Toby just... Like, my guess is he's an adolescent demon who just doesn't really know what he's doing. He's still feeling it. He's good, good sense of pace, good sense of timing. But, like, he's got to look up to Utah and see Paimon out there 
with his well-organized <laughs> cult who are doing efficient things. I was wondering when the uh, payment call for Hereditary was going to come up. Well, I, keep, I kept thinking about it watching the first three because there's parallels between it. But Hereditary takes care of business in one movie. And it's more effective than these three. Whereas this one, it's, it's sloppy. The demon's just not quite sure. The cult's a little inept. They can't get what? it right. They can't get a male heir. It's like, come on, people. You're not even trying. And Pyman's up there like, yeah, what are you going to do? You know? <laughs> You're well, down there in California. I might be stuck in Utah, but at least my team is good at it. Like in fantasy demon baseball, Paymon is winning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. By miles. Well, Hereditary, a couple years row, yeah. Hereditary is a different format. I mean, I don't know if Paranormal Activity set the stage or if it just happens to match it. But Hereditary is we're a standalone movie. We're going to establish everything and wrap up everything to some degree. We're not going to answer all questions, but anything we don't answer, we had no intention of answering, period. Whereas with Paranormal Activity, not Insidious, uh, Sinister, you know, it's it's like we're going to give you a singular incident, then we're going to expand upon it, and then we'll consider giving you some actual like reasons for it all, like, like some lore. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's hit you, entice you. Okay, now that you're sold, we're going to actually build a world around you. Okay, we do we do have to pause here for a moment because Nick just compared Sinister. To hereditary. No, 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 no. no and I no, no, feel no. like we have to take a vote whether we can keep them on the pod or not. I to paranormal activity in its format of expanding on the environment. I said it is very different from hereditary. I hope Here. that's what you meant. Yes. Because if you were comparing those two, we're going to have some <laughs> no, hard talks. No, no. You know, we're going to slot you in with Shasta or something. I don't know, you know. I know. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the podcast. <laughs> uh, just a heads up. Nick's audio is a little off. He's probably going to sound quite different on the next episode. Maybe a bit more nasal or... Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's. It may sound there. like I'm loop- missing some teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I love Paranormal Mike. I love Sinister. Give me an ice pack. <laughs> Look, and I, I realize I'm not particularly reasonable about Sinister. I think it's terrible, but I love Sinister too because I'm terrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I said, a lot of uh, horror attempts at horror franchises these days are following that kind of format. Where yeah, it's, like, show yourself with an, a victim or a family of victims. In a situation, and then build out from that. Don't actually explain anything until you're two three movies in, which is similar to what Paranormal Activity does. What the third film clenches for me is the third one is where I realize how much I identify with Toby. In the first movie, <laughs> like looking back on the first movie, is so I'm single. You know, have been single for a while. I've lived with a lot of couples. I, at one point in college, I was living with three other people who were on long term relationships. I know what it's like in Paranormal Activity 1 when you're just trying to be quiet and you're not trying to be the third wheel in the house. <laughs> and and like you're trying desperately not to make noise. So I know what it's like. And in this movie, we establish how badly Toby has social anxiety. <laughs> um, when the babysitter shows up to watch the kids when the parents go out one night and Toby's like, all right, I got to I got to try. I got to try interacting with a human being. And so he makes himself look good. He puts the sheet on. And, you know, he's, you know, goes up, goes up, goes up. And when she starts to run, he's like, oh, I can't do it. And he, he just <laughs> disappears. And, you know, and then we get the sequence. And you know, when he's upstairs, um, you know, the babysitter's investigating the noise and she's coming up and coming towards the camera. And he's just crouching. He's like, oh, no, pretty girl, pretty girl. Don't fart, don't fart, don't fart. <laughs> and then there's a loud oh blast God. of air that hits her in the face. Oh, my God. And she takes off and he's like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> to reference Jesus Christ. Yeah, I have two things on this. <laughs> to reference the sheet moment, it comes back to uh, Toby's pride, I feel. 
Because what happens is, is like, they're like, tell us a scary, you know, tell us a ghost story. And so she gets the sheet and goes, ooh, I'm a ghost. Uh, and, and I feel like I can almost feel in that moment Toby going, oh, let's see what a ghost in a sheet looks like. I'll show you what a ghost in a sheet looks like. <laughs> and that's when he, he makes the move on her. He is actively attacking the babysitter because he is insulted and angered by her actions. Yeah. He does not like being mocked in any fashion, which comes back to any time they play Bloody Mary mm-hmm. in the bathroom. You know, the first time they play Buddy Mary, they leave and he slams the door. He's kind of like, you know, damn kids. You know, I, I don't, I'm going to give you this one because you're young. You don't know what the hell's going on, but I'm still <laughs> pissed. I'm going to slam this door. But then she plays Bloody Mary with Randy and Toby loses his shit. He's like, no, fuck you. I am done with this. Scratches Randy, throws all the furniture around, turns out the light. No, it's basically, he has a complete fit. He's like, yeah. do you think this is some kind of game? I am not a game. I will show you what the hell I am. It's all pride from Toby. So the problem with that, I, I agree with everything you said. Thank I, you. I think that's all. It's the, all right, three things. <laughs> <laughs> One, in your analogy, who's Micah? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> this is me whistling innocently if I go... <laughs> no names, no names. <laughs> Two, the ghost scene in three is my favorite scene in the entire franchise. It's so well yeah. done. The the panning camera, I think, is clever yes. to begin yeah. with, and it's a good way of building tension because it never speeds up, never slows. It's just always the same thing. And it sets up very significant situations where yeah. this is the way things are. I'm look away, and then you're coming back. You're like, what's different? Yeah. And I, I just like that you see the you know the ghost over there. By the door. Well, the demon. Yeah. And then when it pans back and he's right there and she turns around and it drops. It's a very simple so effect. Good. But the, the way it's paced, the way the timing, yeah. the fact that ghosts scare the crap out of me, mm-hmm. it's, I, I just love it. I love that scene. Yeah. And my third thing, the second Bloody Mary scene with Randy has the biggest laugh in all of the – second biggest laugh in all of the movies because Mar- Shook Ones has got quite a few funny bits. But it's when it's – when they're trying to leave and the door slams and the second time, he just goes, come on, Randy. Yes. <laughs> and I <laughs> lost it. It's, I don't know why it hit me so funny, but I was dying at just the way he says it. And, you know, and then they, they, they burst out. And, they just, and it's, it's actually a scary scene right up until then. And then I'm just bagging up. <laughs> but it, it's an effective scene. Mm-hmm. Like, it's creepy. You know, and if you've ever seen, like, Candyman or something like that, you know, you know, you know what's coming. And... It's just like it, it's a well done scene, and the movie has a lot of well done scenes like that. It's mm-hmm. laced with them. It's laced with the fact that you think you're finally getting a sex scene in one of these stupid movies, <laughs> <laughs> and immediately it's a sexy scene, and yeah, and then there's an and it comes back because they show it, it in ghost dimensions. <laughs> it's funny. Oh my god! And you know, and then the the earthquake happens and stuff, and it's but it's an effective scene. It, it builds tension, and then it you think something's going to happen. Well, you think one thing's going to happen. You're like, oh, this movie's finally pandering to me. No. And it's what Toby saw too, because he stood there for a while after they left the room. Are you coming back? I'm not done yet. <laughs> stupid, stupid earthquake. <laughs> but it tells you he didn't cause the earthquake. Mm-hmm. He just, yeah. he got excited and made the picture drop. It, it is uh, interesting, now I think about it, that everything goes poorly in three directly because of Toby's pride. Toby, you know, attacks. Christy only because she mocks him as being imaginary. Toby only goes after the babysitter because of the sheep. When 
Dennis and Randy see the sheet, definitive proof of Toby's existence on tape, that's when stuff really gets bad. That's when things gear up and Toby's like, ah, crap, I've gone too far. I need to fix this. I mean, because that is shortly after they see the tape and see the ghost scene is the first time Christy is possessed by Toby and does the I'm going to go stand and watch my parents bed for an hour and a half, which has in the previous films been shown to be indicative of murderous thoughts. It's Toby gearing up going, all right, it's your turn. Let's do this. <laughs> it's also the movie starts to fall on its face a little bit, a little bit. Because it's one of those things, and again, it drives me nuts. It's because she's seen supernatural stuff at this point. They know weird things are happening. She is concerned about what's going on. He, not completely, she's not completely convinced, but she's she's not completely skeptic until that point. Well, yeah. And they, they end up where, you know, he says, you know, I've got these on the tapes. And she freaks out on him saying, you know, you're putting these thoughts in the kids' heads, you know. And he's like, watch the tape, and she refuses. She's angry at him. It she, doesn't matter. She she's already made up her mind. He's saying, I have definitive the, proof of the supernatural, and she's like, F you, I'm watching cartoons, and it doesn't work. <laughs> she's already in a state of rage at him. She's like, you know what? I don't give a shit what you have on those cameras. You have done They're this. Her you kids. are doing that. He is saying he has definitive proof that her kids are in danger, and she's like, nah. But that dog. sounds ridiculous. She immediately writes it off as you're clearly being stupid. I have already established that you're the problem here, and you're trying to forgive that with some crappy video that I don't want to watch. But, Why do I want to watch your crappy videos? But she's seen anything. this stuff. No, it's, no, no, it's too much of a personality scene. But what has she seen up to She's seen point? the other videos. No, she hasn't, because he stopped showing them to her. Yeah, but she saw the earlier ones. She and then, saw and the then it the pivots, dust. and then it pivots. And she saw all them over the dust, but she wasn't sure what she was looking at. And then all the stuff falls off. It's still, if, if this, this person that you love, you, even if you're mad at him and saying, look, I have definitive proof that we have a problem, and you're like, no. I'm mad at you. You're going to watch those videotapes. You're going to at least, she you're going to at least, because the kids no, are freaked out. I disagree. Out. I think she would have watched them eventually, given time. But in that moment, I respect the emotional response. I think given a day or two, she'd be like, all right, fine. Let me see something. I'll see something. But at that point, it doesn't matter. We've already gone off the deep end. I would respect it if there weren't kids involved. There's kids involved and their direct safety and direct stuff like with the babysitter freaked out and all that. She's aware of that stuff. And she's like, yeah, I, I don't care. You know, with the babysitter, she's just like, that's weird. That's it. Because she, I she just, didn't make the connection. Yeah. It's, it, it just, it, it didn't work for me. It, it, the reaction. And, and it's a reaction that you see all the time in these kind of movies because you have to have somebody be skeptic. Otherwise, it's the cell phone problem. If somebody isn't skeptical, the problems get solved a lot faster and you, you lose the, the, you know, you don't have the, the every, all the shit falling off the ceiling and stuff. But it, it just, it just doesn't work for me when it's, See, situations that, like that. If, if the stuff, like had I, not, I've had fights, I understand that, but yeah. you're still watching that tape. I feel given another day, she would have, but by that point, the stuff had already fallen from the ceiling. She had to, she didn't need a tape. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, after that, everything like super escalated. Like, never mind. Too bad we can't stay. <laughs> yeah. It just, it just didn't work for me. But then, then the stuff falls from the ceiling. She's like, we out. And they go directly to the worst place they possibly could. Yeah, and they, they head to uh, Grandma Lois's place. So this is where I kind of, seeing it uh, in theaters for the first time, you know, again, I was, mm -hmm. it was pretty creepy seeing it with an audience, especially with the, you know, the again, the new tech edition of this movie is the the camera attached to the base of an oscillating fan. So that worked very well with the audience. And the movie didn't lose me until the very end, which is... The um, Bad News Bear poster? That uh, grandmom still has hanging in her finally oh, I forgot about that. house. Yeah, no, no. Um, not quite. No, it's the Because I was when, a little triggered. It's when Toby strikes and we see the death scene of Dennis. So Dennis gets 
thrown to the ground. Really well done. And then Toby oh, arguments there yeah, too. Yeah, and then Toby wrenches him up and basically bends him into a U shape. Yeah, dude gets his shit ruined. And it's at that point that I actually started laughing in the theater because that's the point when they established that Toby is the Iron Sheik. <laughs> because Toby's I put a camel clutch and a hamburu. Are you giving child to Toby? Thank you, Bubba. <laughs> Was that the first time Toby actually killed someone himself? Uh, like because because Micah dies through Katie's hands. It could be technically the mother because we don't really see what's going. Uh, t- presumably, Toby. We see her at the top of a stairwell mm-hmm. and levitating. So mm-hmm. presumably, Toby could it, the parents would probably be yeah, to- true. Toby's. So there's the argument kills. whether she's alive or not. After yeah, that. it's so it could go either way with her. But yeah, Dennis is definitely the direct kill. The one, the one good thing about that is that grandma sells how much she hated that dude. Oh, in that oh scene. yeah. <laughs> there's so much disdain on her face. Yeah. And we'll circle back to this moment at the end of the third one, too, because it's one of the things that bugged me about Ghost, Ghost Dimension is it takes this movie that oh, I already thought was kind of amusing and makes it worse. Oh, but so much worse. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah, Ghost Dimension makes everything worse. But overall, I think three is the second best movie in the franchise. I I still like the first one best just because it's so effective. It was very effective. But in terms of making a sequel to a horror movie, I think three does an incredibly good job. Yes. Of the thing, that tightrope you have to walk with horror sequels where you want to expand the mythology in new ways, but also make a, a well-done horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there are all, all of these movies are essentially, with the exception of marked ones, are remakes of the first one. So yeah. it's... Normal family, Toby shows up, things gear yeah, up. Yeah, things escalate, and then, then everybody dies at the end, which is kind of, I mean, every found footage horror movie is the same. In, in that, not really, but most of them follow that, that track that's just usually in an asylum. But it, it does a good job. And I really do think it's the second, it, you can make an argument that it's the best of the films in the franchise mm-hmm. just from a pure movie making standpoint. Um, I, my favorite is still the first one and marked ones, but this is, this is up there. I actually think three might be better than one. I think three might be my favorite. And I put that out there under the, the understanding that yes, one was phenomenal when I saw it. I thought the slow burn, punch of the end format was really well done. I like the organic nature of it all. Top to bottom, really well done. It was nice, though, to have kind of a more rounded out world, I guess, with three. More people involved. It's less like bottle episode. It actually mm. felt more uh, realistic to some degree. I connected the characters better. Um, it's because they're better characters. They're better characters. <laughs> <laughs> there's, and, there's nobody in that right. that's a horrible person that you just immediately dislike. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the, the only complaints, Except the, grandma. the only real complaints I had with three were a reconning the tapes in the very, very beginning because their beginnings are sloppy because they need to. They're like, this will be sloppy, but it establishes where we need to go and then we'll move forward. And then the ending was sloppy. Like, I can fill in the gaps for three to make one, two, and three work. But the problem is, it's so open ended. I can fill in the gaps in three make four five and six work too <laughs> it's like four if you're taking one and two into account i would say that after dennis's demise they go and finish the ritual christy is married to toby at which point toby is satiated goes away some part of that magic is involved helps wipe their memories which will make reference to the mom talked about having kind of a bit of memory loss at one point almost like it is Happening throughout the generations. Mm. Stuff happens as a kid. Toby needs to do his ritual to keep the pack moving. Then the kids' memories are kind of wiped of the situation. They go and lead normal lives. It would very much fit that. And one could make the argument, because it's never blatantly explained, if I recall, that the house burning down was used to cover Dennis's death. 
would be my guess. Uh, the house burning, I at least as 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 far as one, two, and three are concerned, that would work for me. It could be covering Dennis's death. It was also so that it was the rebuilt house was as we find out in Ghost Dimension was was specifically to assist in yeah, summoning. By stuff. then, that feels like but, a, a shoehorned reason. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> like that's uh, an afterthought reason. You know? Yeah. But I agree in terms of quality. Yeah, I absolutely agree on the third one. I I thought it was by the franchise standards was quite good. One thing worth mentioning on it is that we we had different directors this time around. The directors on this one were Henry Joost and Ariel Shulman, who at, at this point had done the documentary movie Catfish, was their big claim to fame. And then the third one was written by Christopher Landon, who we mentioned. And so I mention all this because that whole crew, directors and screenwriter, all carry over from three into four. We have a different person doing story credit for the fourth one, but the screenwriter's still the same, and the directors carried right on over from three to four. Really? Yeah. Yep. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. As much as we loved three, (laughs) I feel like maybe we have a different opinion on the fourth movie in this series. I I am going playing devil's advocate. Oh, I'm excited. (laughs) Say that if all you watch is one through four, then four is a steaming pile of dog shit. That being said, whose devil are you advocating? (laughs) I feel... Feel having w- actually watched five and six, thanks to you, that understanding that three and up by itself gives some minor redemption to four, but not much. Not enough for me to change my stance on it. See, I don't hate it. I, I didn't like it when I first saw it, but I just didn't hate it when I watched it, in part because of the, the lead actress, the... Uh, I forgot her name. Catherine Newton. Catherine Character's Newton. name is Alex. But she does a splendid job. Newton. And I've, I've enjoyed her in a lot of things. And it, it took me a second to realize that that's who it was. Like, I liked her in society a lot. I just is, saw her in Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Yeah, which is <laughs> that was fun. fun in there. Yeah, she <laughs> yeah, she's had a hell of a career. Yeah. She, she's kind of like Elizabeth Olsen adjacent. It's a fair description. She's, she's a similar style of, you know, candor and everything. But I, she's just a fun actress. And I think she does a good job in this, given... What she has to work with. <laughs> the the overall premise is... So your, your, so your first defense of this is it has a good actress who made do with what she was given. High praise. Well, look. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not calling this Shakespeare. I'm just saying I didn't hate it. But again, I have, I have a, a much higher floor for found footage movies than I do... Translation, he has watched some awful stuff. <laughs> This is a true statement. (laughs) Um, I just need something a little bit clever. And this has some stuff that's a little bit clever in it. Whether it works in continuity or not, maybe less so, but... I I think the movie thinks it's cleverer than it is. It's the only one that takes place outside of California. Yeah, yeah, it takes place in Nevada, Nevada. Um, in the lushest looking (laughs) Nevada that there is. I looked up pictures of Henderson, Nevada. I don't think this was filmed in Henderson, Nevada. <laughs> no. No, and the fact that it takes place in Nevada and spoilers for one of the reveals we get in later on in the film, which is the reveal that one of the characters we see is actually Hunter, the, the character from the second one, who's now going by the name of Wyatt because he's been adopted by another family and doesn't know where he came from. It makes you wonder, is like, did Katie and Toby, like after Paranormal Activity 1, or t- at the end of 2, rather, did they just make a beeline for Vegas and Toby used the kid as collateral on a bet? He's like, I'm betting this kid on the Sixers. And, and Toby's sitting behind the dealer, like, you know, looking at cards. You know, like, you know, 
Hit. Definitely hit. <laughs> Wait, what did you say, Toby? Rams the guy's head into the table. I said hit. Because <laughs> it's... That's the only way I can make the premise of this movie. It has the oddest setup where we have this jump forward of several years. Five years. And... So and Toby should be... I mean, uh, Hunter slash Wyatt should be six, six at this point. yeah. And for the hoops, it's vaguely jumping through to explain why they put this kid into the adoption system after going working so hard to get him. It's just an odd setup from Go. Well, it's a twist in search of a movie. Yes. Yeah, and but it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. But like, can, here's, but okay. if you think about it, and, I, and I'll just throw this out there. Go ahead. This is, this is really a stretch, but I was trying to make some way to make sense. Because you, you, you always disliked it because it broke the rules, but I would argue that there aren't enough established rules for it to do that. But... <laughs> 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 but in the first one, it's established that that house and everything is all Micah's money. So when she had to beat it and then killed her family, she's not getting any inheritance from her family. She's on the lamb. Okay. It's hard to raise a kid on the lamb. So I could see why she would put the kid in the system and then keep tabs on him until he was ripe. But couldn't she have done that with her sister? What do you mean? I mean, if she wants the kid to be raised... And ripened and taken care of, wouldn't that have been better with Christy and her husband and the loving family well, that he was growing up in? Not if they're dead. Then why the... Did she kill them? <laughs> <laughs> Do any of these people make good choices in these films? Why would they it's make good It's not a, a person. Choice? It's Toby. And we've established Toby's got some problems. He's got some things to work out in therapy. He's got, an, he's got okay. an anger issue, for yes, sure. He, does. he doesn't like being mocked. Yes, he does. And he lashed out. And then he was like, damn, I had a good setup. I killed everyone again. <laughs> now let's see what Katie can do. This woman is basically useless. Let's put the kid in the system. Maybe we'll get him in a nice place. I get to go to Vegas, hang out in Nevada. There's a house next door. There's this other kid who makes no sense. <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, this movie introduces another kid by the name of Robbie, who the initial setup is where we're led to uh, believe that this kid is Hunter. Because Heavily. we see him living with Katie, who's now moved in across the street from our protagonist in this film. The tip-off is that Hunter never had a magic fork. Correct. Oh, we're getting to the fork. Oh, my God. And then we find out Robbie is not Hunter. He's there, basically, to whisper in Hunter's ear, and then he's revealed, you know, he, he vanishes. At, once the, we hit the point where the kid named Wyatt realizes he's Hunter, then Robbie vanishes from the movie. And it goes to show that Kind of how much this movie defangs Toby in that his Herald is a five-year-old. <laughs> his Herald or Hype Man, I'm not sure which, but either well, way, it's... Let's be clear here. Up until the start of the fourth one, you're dealing with Toby. Toby is a demon, singular, dealing with his bullshit and the families that he wrecks. Mm -hmm. Fine. Now, did Toby they, Did they mention taken... the coven before that? Like, you know the grandmother yes. is, is, but do they actually mention... I know they don't, they don't get called the midwives until... Until marked ones. Until right. marked ones, but... No, but I mean, the, the coven is at the end of three. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they're coming yeah. in. Yeah, they're all there. Yeah, that's it's right. when they go to escape yeah. the house. And yeah. They, yeah, yeah, they see but, okay, so, yep. so but they never... They don't really explicitly talk about the coven, though. So, so even, mm. even through one through three, it's Toby, 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 just Toby. Yeah, the coven exists, but guess what? They really just kind of work in the service of Toby because they want the benefits. That's fine. Robbie, only considering the first three films, is this random six-year-old kid who's like, yeah, sure, let's do this. And you can buy that under two premises. One, he's possessed by Toby. Or two, 
He's Hunter and basically already down the path. I will take either. When he is neither of those things, it makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> Did you read any of the interviews with the director about it? Was he on crack at the time? I don't know. Well, the, but, but, <laughs> so you, you didn't. I did Cause, not. Because the not. people keep asking him, well, who the hell is Toby? And he, he kind of defers. Toby to Robbie. Like, Robbie. 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 Sorry. He, he defers from it, but he, he basically implies in the, at least one of the ones I read that Robbie is a kind of herald. So there's almost an implication that he's like a simulacrum or something. It's not in the movie. It's just in the interviews. I just feel like this interview went, hey, what can you tell me about Robbie? He goes, well, the thing about Robbie is, insert explanation here. And I hope that had, and it helps your day. And then he moved on. <laughs> yeah. The only thing that supports yeah. the Herald thing is the fact that he vanishes completely from the movie, you know, once the, there's yeah. a certain exposition point. Which so is its own level kid. of amusement. Yeah. I was amused by that. <laughs> but let's be clear about that. If that's and the, the case, kid does a good job being creepy, and you got to give him, he came up with a magic fork all on his own. He did. That was an ad lib. So the bit where the kid's pulling the yeah. stuff out of the bag, and yeah, that was the kid, you know, just riffing on stuff. Because now we established... Firmly in continuity, this franchise has a magic fork that tells the future. <laughs> that is amazing. Even in the premise that he's like some invoked herald of Toby, it's like, it just, it, you imagine their relationship together? Go, go forth and spread my word and what I'm to become. He's like, yeah, that's nice. Whatever, boss. Hey, respect me. I, I have a physical body. Go fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> well, but we, we've established that Toby likes to, to try and possess kids. So maybe he's Which would just... work if Robbie was Toby. <laughs> I just, I just, I, I just find the whole premise kind of entertaining because it's dumb. That's nice. Oh, you like it because it's dumb. That's well, it made for an entertaining movie. <laughs> it's one of those. Well, you just, it's, it's one of those. You have to decide early on. You're just gonna roll with it because it's nuts. You're right. I think I might have enjoyed this movie if I had gone into it thinking I don't care what I get. You're right. If I had zero expectations or care for the franchise whatsoever and could be happy just sitting in my thumbs, I probably would enjoy this movie more. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Look, I, th this movie by the third one had established to me that it was going to play fast and loose with any kind of rules or mythology and it was going to change it on an as-needed basis. Person. So going into the fourth one, it's like, well, all right. Let's see what we get now. Well, here's the thing. As long as they delivered to me that movies that were somewhat entertaining, and this one was mm -hmm. somewhat entertaining, if only for Ben the Cowboy. All right, I'll give you, here's what I'm going to say. Again, it comes back to my learning that this is a two stories colliding situation because three and up by itself works. This two stories colliding thing is a defense mechanism, you know. No, it's an explanation. It's <laughs> so what happens is with, with, if, you, if you go from three up, what happens is, is that you're dealing with Toby, this demonic herald who wishes to incorporate itself on the world, who is capable of infecting people in droves, is actually able to invest demonic permanent energies in people and create this army on the planet. That explains Robbie. You can make that work with Robbie. Except he's not ripe yet. Gotta be 18. But, no, not, not, to, not, <laughs> not Hunter, Robbie. Yeah. No, because anybody can be possessed under that premise. It right, but they they establish in the marked ones that that he only wants eighteen year olds, and that's when the final possession. Well, that, of course, yeah, they're breaking their own rules there again, you know. But but the thing is, they're not rules though. <laughs> that's the whole thing. When you're going from this one to four, this is much more chaotic than you want it to be. But when you only have the movies one through four, you have no further exposition or explanation from five up. The only rule you have really is it's Toby. It's just Toby, and when that's your only explanation, Robbie and everything else that happens makes no sense. I, don't, I, I feel like if they had done five and then four, I would have had more respect for it. If they established 
Okay, so in five, jumping well, ahead here a little bit. Him. In five, they established that there are number of people who are being marked. There are number of people who are being imbued with this stuff. It is a spreading thing. And when you have that, four makes more sense. It's really like four and five are vastly out of order, and it breaks the series. Maybe. But again, I just don't think and there's any established rules that make any sense in all of these. Like, even the stuff Toby does doesn't really make sense throughout the movies. Like, it doesn't make he shows up, bangs some shit, slams some doors, and eventually kills people. Um, a lot of that is it See, feeds you're, off of fear. You're, you're, That's a you're consistent rule. Coming it feeds up. off fear. Maybe. That's consistent. And so what it does is it does little stuff to invoke some fear so we can do bigger stuff. And it basically keeps a self-feeding cycle in place until it can do what it wants to do in any given moment. Maybe I think you're you're so, pu- yes. you're okay. putting a lot more into this than than the writers did or or the even the movies. I'm working with what I got very here. very much so. <laughs> <laughs> like you're trying hard. You're you are you are trying to. You would be a better person to write these and to write a franchise like this than these people. I I can uh, create who, a who, Bible. Who? I can be. I can look at continuity. I can look at what works and what doesn't work. And based on what I was given in one, two, and three, I was able to assemble some basic rules and and. and that but they're works. not rules. Patterns. Right. You were able to establish <laughs> patterns. Well, if your definition of rules is something put in place by the people who make it, yes, you're absolutely right. It was just patterns. They weren't. My, my definition of rule is this. Here's a wall. <laughs> I can't go through that. That's a rule. Well, when you're talking about a movie, you can do anything you want with the next one. There's just no right. way around And that. that's what they did with four. Right. But <laughs> I They were like, we've got to sell some connects. I feel uh. I was sold a set of rules in the first three, and then four just pulled the rug right out from under me. And yet, five is a much better movie than most of them. Agreed. Four is so... I don't dislike four to, to quite the same extent. I do dislike it. The setup of four is so wonky and it's so hollow that when I was watching it, part of me actually thought, I was like, did Chris Landis just say, well, I know I'm directing the marked ones, so I'm just going to save all the good shit for that one. Like, yeah. all, all the stuff that's actually innovative. Because all this one has is it has this really wonky initial setup and then all it has after that, I'd, I'd be more forgiving of it if it had more in the way of scares or just interesting things. But all it has is it has a reference to the changeling when they drop a basketball down the yep. stairway instead Very of a nice. ball. It's and, got a reference to the shining, too. With the uh, big with wheel. The, yeah. Yep. And, Excellent. But aside from that, the, the running thing through it is just the big money new scare for this one is the connect sequence, yep. which they keep. Cutting to over and over, and they cut to it like five times to let you know it's coming. It's it's coming. It's not now, but when it, when it comes, it's going to be creepy. Just just wait. And and it's I like the connect sequence conceptually. And when I saw it for the first time, I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of creepy. I forgot how often they keep cutting to it at night. It was it would have been worked so much better with just establish it when they first show it to the kids and like, hey, look what it's like when you turn the lights off and blah blah blah, and then just use it for the scare. And mm-hmm. they show it like three times in between and that bit drove me nuts yeah well again i'm not defending it as a good movie i'm just saying i found it kind of entertaining somewhat divorced from the rest of the series it has to be if you don't divorce it from the rest of the series you are so mad dog shit (laughs) (laughs) there are some things in it that i appreciated like when you know they have this the teen party, and he's like, "Hey, let's go hang out in the back treehouse. We're gonna hang out. Maybe make out some of the creepy kid." It's like demonic cock blocker of doom. What? That's that ha- funny. That happens. <laughs> that happens to him twice. Yeah. Because, and he even says it early on. It's like when they're like real early on. The hunter blows up his spot pretty good. Oh, I can't even remember how it was. It's like I think it's when they're out trick or treating her. Yeah. So they and and Hunter like runs into the house across the way. And he's like, "Damn." 
thank you, thanks for cock blocking me, kid. Yeah, that was my favorite part of the movie. So that's a sequence that's only available in the extended edition, which is like this like four to five minute opening sequence of them trick or treating. And it was my favorite part of the movie because it's it's the one bit where it kind of feels like the characters have some interplay and it kind of feels you know somewhat. You know, again, trying at least to have some semblance of feeling organic, I think, is integral to the sort of stuff I like about found footage. Yeah. This one didn't have that one, to me, much at all. Because You had a an actress doing what she could with the material. As much as I liked the kids in 3, I and they were trying, but I just didn't really care for the kids in this one. And then you have the parents and the boyfriends who are basically non-entity. Well, the parents who were complete non-entities. They, um, they tried to explain that away, too. It's like, yeah, they hate each other. So they're just going to be too busy arguing. Yeah, it's like okay. Yeah, although the the one favorite thing I have with the mother is so the one extended sequence we get with the mother in the kitchen is. Do you remember the video that she's watching? Yeah, it's about what peppers are. It's about yeah the the basics of red bell peppers. (laughs) Like it's and then cut them into strips. And she's looking at this, looking up and down, like okay, I cut them into strips. But the way she's cutting doesn't (laughs) sync up with what the thing is. No, it's like she has to be like like this is the the most basic tutorial. Or bell pepper is not because it says bell peppers are not spicy. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. Please, if you haven't seen this, go back and just listen to the audio while she's cutting the peppers because it's a completely and nonsensical she's doing TV sequence. Shopping too, which doesn't make sense for peppers. <laughs> but if we go back to the second one, so there's the sequence early on. It's one of the sequences where we're introduced to Martine, the maid, and the daughter's talking to her. You remember what she's cutting? Peppers. Yep. <laughs> she's cutting garlic. And she's cutting yellow and green bell peppers too, but she's specifically cutting red ones. Yep. So it could entirely be that Toby just has a food allergy. <laughs> and all these movies are just instigated by it. like, no, I told you I have dietary restrictions. <laughs> that That's also one of those scenes in the where it tells you just real right away that this is not going to be a good film. The yeah. knife disappears. Yeah, it flies she lives up in a house with the toddler. Yeah. And she's like, huh, knife's gone. And she goes get another. It, it doesn't, doesn't just come back for it's half an hour. hours. It's yeah. not even just gone. It goes straight up and like no one. I don't, is it chilling on the ceiling? Is it in some pocket dimension? It's not because she looks up. It's just gone. It's just gone. It's just gone. And then it gets dropped randomly, almost killing the dad later for like almost no reason whatsoever. And he yeah. has so perfect a reaction to that because, huh? <laughs> and he like, turns around and she yells at him just come to bed <laughs> it's my favorite scene in the entire movie yeah, I love it, it that's another one of my complaints <laughs> of the film is that at some point Toby goes now you must all die and like there's no reason for it like the family under no circumstances has taken him seriously at any point and they're just like, hey, hey, mom, how you doing? I'm going to play dribble with you in the living room now. <laughs> well, it could be they're just waiting for all the witches to show up across the street. So the, the, this movie establishes, so Katie moves in across the street and all these witches are arriving. We see sporadically some strange people across the street. So it could be Toby's just killing time. He's like, Whoa. Which, again, brings us back to some of the conflicts here. If you're looking at the later films, you can usually say all these witches, when they got involved with Toby and his, his work, were corrupted and taken over by his energies. Whereas all you have is the first three movies. It's like, who the fuck are these people? Yeah. Where did they come from? This makes no goddamn sense whatsoever. Nothing in the movie makes sense. That's why I enjoy, like, again, at some point, it's just That's kinda, not okay. It is, though. It's fun <laughs> sometimes to just watch a movie where scene to scene, nothing. This is why people get together and watch The Room. This is why Cats has a 9% on Rotten Tomatoes, all right? And, and I want to go see it. <laughs> I've been wanting to see that in the theaters because sometimes it's just fun to be like, all right, buckle in. Let's see what's going to be like, that was fun. I'm going to be like, I'm going to kill a bitch. (laughs) If you go into a movie with no expectations and it's this wackadoodle, I just find that fun sometimes. 
Like, just think about that. It's got the best the fuck in the entire franchise. It's it's one of the I forget what it is. it's the the boyfriend. He's looking at something and it's like he's looking at something happens. He goes the fuck. And it, halfway through <laughs> no, him saying the exactly K, it, happens. it cuts, cuts away. Yeah. And that, that's that great. is a hilarious moment. It's when he's talking to Robbie and Robbie's like, he doesn't like you. He's like, wait, who doesn't f- like me? You'll find out. What the, the fuck? fuck? <laughs> and, it's, and it's great. And it's later, like when they, they're going across the street and you almost get hit by the Prius. And just goes, Damn Prius. Prius. <laughs> that was the other thing, too. Was it's hilarious. With no, the family. And you is. cut it up into bits. It has digestible moments that you might enjoy. When you approach it as an actual film in the franchise, it's just vomit. When we got through the first three, speaking of cars, the Prius is what brought this up. After the first three movies, you know, I watched these in, not all in a row, but in relatively quick succession over a few days. And after the third one, it was like, I'm just sick of watching movies about rich people. And then there's the sequence where the daughter in this one gets stuck in the garage, and it's a Cadillac. It's like, <laughs> it's like I'm tired of these people and money. And that's a that's a good sequence. It that's is. Yeah, that's actually it's, well done. It was, it was very okay. engaging. And she does the right thing. Yep. And yeah, nobody and in movies great? do the right thing, but yeah. she does. She's like, all right, fuck it. This is the way to window. I'm doing it. Peace. Yep. Except she should have kept driving. <laughs> yeah, probably. Clearly, because she could she could have escaped. Just right. beat it. I got one question. It's not coming after you. It doesn't come after Allie. So. Robbie, this weird-ass kid, shows up. Magic fork. And you know what? <laughs> Fine. I still don't like it, but the parents are really giving and let him stay with them randomly for like yeah, for three, someone four days. Yeah, for someone they don't know. For someone they don't know. Yeah, that doesn't what make the fuck is sense that? either. But, but also, they acknowledge that. But let's they acknowledge. She's like, we don't even know this person. They're like, yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> with I know what are you going to do? What are you going to do? But it's like a stranger. It's fine. It's fine. It's not like anybody locks their door in but Nevada. Let me ask you this question. At no point is anything locked except when she gets trapped in me, the garage. Mm. It's the only time there's a locked door did, in the did, entire movie. Did they answer this question? Why does Wyatt have a bunk bed? Why does Wyatt, who does not share a room with his sister, and probably never has based on the house they have and, and the, how well do they are, why does he have a bunk bed in his room? There's no reason for it. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. I used to have they a bunk bed, and my brother didn't sleep on the bottom. It's just, they just don't even try to explain it. They're like, "Nah, throw it in there." What are people going to think? What do I care what they think? Just throw it in there. <laughs> they clearly don't care about. Maybe their they audience. went out and bought they the bunk care. bed when they knew. Yeah, the it's also the movie I made. In, you know. <laughs> Nick is going to go home and look up the directors and reduce it, Ariel Schumann, and just at them on Twitter. Your movie's bad and you should feel bad. I have a better question. What's the cat's name? Do they name the cat? They no. Don't. Okay, yeah, no. They okay. don't even acknowledge that the cat exists. The, the cat, it might as well be a houseplant. Oh, yeah, so no. It only I shows got... up in two scenes. Yep. All right, I, yeah, because I, I have it first... listed as just the cat. So I'm glad I wasn't missing something. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, the dog is an integrable part of it. Integrable. I'm just making up words. It's an integrable part. Nick's like, see what this movie does to your brain? The dog is an important part of the second film. The dog is actually an active and working defense. The cat. It's in the one scene where I the first time you see it, like, jumps off of something. Yeah. And the second scene is just running through a room. Yep. Nobody acknowledges the cat. Nobody feeds it. Nobody cares about it. The teenage, you know, teenage girl, she's sleeping on the bed even though she gets woo lifted out of the bed for oh, no particular reason. That Cat's is not there. That's the other sequence in this film that I liked, which was the sequence where Wyatt enters into the room and just randomly levitates his <laughs> sister for no reason, just levitates her in bed and then lowers her back down. Because well, all I could hear 
was the Yoda theme from Empire <laughs> when he lifts the X-Wing. And I really just wanted at the end of the sequence for it to just be why it turns and goes, I don't believe it, Toby. That is why you failed. <laughs> to be fair, and I hate to say this, it's one of the parts of the movie I can explain. So you, oh, you can explain, okay. Yeah, because I think we may need his... to rename this Nick Explained. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they make it clear that part of the ritual they're trying to enact is there are three stages. One, have the host have preternatural powers. Maybe pronouncing that right. Correct me if I'm wrong. And then two, can just go with supernatural. show those powers to the demon. And then three, shed innocent blood. So one could argue that when he lifts her out of bed, that is That's him actively two. doing stage two, showing the demon, I can do this. I have the power. I am worthy. The escalation in this is much more shakier. Weird. And it's it makes no sense. All over goddamn place. Yeah. But the knife is the best. Come on, <laughs> man. The knife, the, you know, it's, it's, what's the thing with the gun? Introduce the Chekhov's gun. Yeah. Yep. Introduce the gun in the first act and then you bring it back later. You have to this use everything you introduce. This gives a knife, disappears, and then just brings the knife back later just for a laugh. <laughs> or a scare, depending on how you're watching the film. <laughs> I just, yeah, it pacing, it's just a poorly done film. It's awful. But it's, but it's poorly done to the point where I just found it incredibly entertaining. The sheer level of incongruity and insanity and everything. And we haven't even talked about the end. No. Nope. The end after, you know, poor Ben the cowboy boyfriend, friend. They never really established that they're boyfriend and girlfriend, even though they talk on the internet 24-7. Oh, they're boyfriend and girlfriend. No, I don't think so. He tries to make out with her in the back. I mean, he's constantly up he, in her grill. He tries, but she's she's always just like, whatever. Ha ha. They're young. They ain't that young. That's why he keeps trying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I don't think they're boyfriend and girlfriend. I think he wants to be, and she's like, we're buddies. With an idea that maybe. I, I'm not even going to think about it too much. But the point is, is, I don't even remember what my point was. The ending. The oh, ending. Yeah. Yeah, he comes in, you know, at their house, because nothing's ever locked in Nevada. And get gets his shit broke and tossed in the closet. Mm -hmm. And then she comes home, sees him, screams. And then I, I almost forget what happens. She runs across or she sees the kid run across the street. Mm -hmm. uh, I think she sees him running across the street out the window. She sees him out the window <laughs> in the neighbor's or in the house across the street. Yeah. And then she hoofs it across the street, runs into the house, sees her because she thinks her dad's over there, right? Uh, or her dad goes over there. Her dad, uh, yeah, yeah, they yeah, split the up. Yeah, the right. dad goes over there. The dad is such yeah. a non-entity in the movie that I can't even remember. Yeah, but what yeah. happened to the mom? Uh, mom dies. Uh, Toby she gets played her. like a basketball up against the ceiling floor. And then oh, that's right, that's right. And yeah. then Katie shows up and hides the body. Yeah. So okay. when when the daughter and father come back, she's a non-entity. They, they never they can't find her. They are too busy that's with right. other stuff. So she she runs across, <laughs> runs into the house, runs around the house, jump scare, jump scare, then. She sees Demon Katie coming at her, jumps out the window, turns around, sees a whole bunch of coven women, turns around, Katie, the end. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So Wyatt, at no point, at least on camera, spills blood. It looks like all of the ladies there. I think there, Wyatt has to spill blood. I think they need the blood of the innocent. He needs That's to, what they he say needs to, No, the, the third part is he spills blood. Like he, or the, uh, the, the unprofaned, is I believe the exact wording. But it, what it comes down to is, is that, you know, she's there, she gets attacked by the witches, not him, and I just don't, there's so much wrong with this goddamn movie. <laughs> there's like, Robbie is wrong, the witches are unexplained, it, it, 
they keep the rando kid for a week. You know, it's and then never mentioned him again. It, it, I get targeting the sister because she's actively in, like engaging them and, and attacking them and, and tracking them down. But the parents' deaths make zero sense whatsoever. You know, you well, go the from, dad runs into the house. You go from one. Like you demon, go into their house. You're getting. You're getting God. You go from one <laughs> demon to multiple demons. And maybe the biggest question of the whole film is why the hell did I watch this crap? <laughs> <laughs> Because you made me watch Rave from the Grave. That's fair. That's why. That's fair. I cannot, with clear conscience, argue that. I hope I, you're enjoying this at home, folks. <laughs> Welcome to episode two of the Eat, Shit, and Die podcast. <laughs> hey, you're going to go fuck yourself today, Nick. I'm glad you asked, Jake. I would like to say I was very positive for the first three films. Thank you. <laughs> this week's topic is I hate your voice almost as much as I hate your face. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but love for you people. Nothing but love. All right. Four is easily the second worst film in the series. Ghost Dimension is still worse. Agreed. It's pretty damn crappy. But at least, at least for me, with Four is that it's an entertaining watch. It's it's not a good film. Nothing makes any logical sense. It doesn't really fit with the rest of the film. I will argue Four has at most maybe a handful of moments that I enjoyed. I it's not boring. <laughs> okay. So you know, like I don't regret watching it. Maybe regret watching it twice, but. Again, I like the I like the lead actress enough that I don't mind watching her try and salvage what she's got in front of her. <laughs> um, she did an amazing job with what she did. And I just like I like the goofy shit in it. I like that there's this little kid riffing on having a magic fork that can <laughs> you know what was it, tell Predict the future. Predict the future. Predict the future. You know, and, and just the sheer level of things that don't make sense. And the fact that the whole movie is essentially narrated by Ben the Cowboy, who <laughs> Is just the biggest. He's 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 trying to defeat a coven so that he can score points with his not girlfriend. <laughs> I like Ben a lot in this, actually. Yeah, and he didn't deserve the end he got. Not it was such a there was no fight. It yeah. just just happened. Like, it, was like it, it was worthless. It, all Ben had to do was not come by that day. Yeah, and he would have survived the whole thing. Yep. yep. He would have been sad. But that that's the question. Do you think she survives? Do you think they whack her? Or do you think they turn her into a covener? Covener? Oh no, she's dead. Which? She's she's so dead. She's ridiculous. There, uh, there's I, actually yeah. discussion about that online. The, the uh, only I, mean, I would say the only reason they start killing the family at all is because they are loose ends. That's it. They're just killing them off so that people don't go looking for Hunter. Yeah, could be, but nobody That's was looking it. for Hunter, so they were going to. Actually. <laughs> they were definitely going to. <laughs> but there there is a lot of discussion online about whether she's alive, and fans of this series wanted the sequels to be about her. And then there's also another group that wanted the sequels to be about Ali Ray, but at both least fantastic. which would have made a lot more sense. At least she shows fun up. Actresses, mm-hmm. and I think I would have loved the story in either direction. Now, what I'm hoping for the new one coming out is that it's those two women teaming up to take out the Coven, because I will be there opening night for that shit. I've got a pitch for Paranormal Activity Seven, but we'll get to that at the end. <laughs> all right. So, all right, so not the best entry, but then there was the Slideways entry. Which was paranormal activity, the shook one, the marked ones. <laughs> Already. <laughs> Every time. Do you wish this movie had started with courier font on, you know, white text on black background that says to all the killers in a hundred dollar villas instead of the dedication from the Carlsbad Police Department? I do. It's funny with this movie because I've I've been talking about it since I because I saw it I think one night a while back. I because I saw the first one and then I think I watched two, three, and four kind of Two, three, four, and five, sort of all at once the first time I saw them. I don't really remember, but I remember how taken I was with the marked ones. Because it's an entertaining movie. It's, it functions as a good, solid 
found footage movie. It came out not too long after Chronicle, and it had shares some at least parts of it share some elements with Chronicle. And I loved Chronicle. And I, I don't know if I loved it more than I love the marked ones, but it it has a very it's very different tonally, it's very different character wise. Yes. It's it's very different in, in terms of it's a handheld camera and not stationary stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily innovative. They did more handheld in the, the fourth one, even though it's a computer screen, so people walking around. It has a more distinct arc. It's not necessarily it's not the same old thing. It's it's the only movie in this entire franchise that's very distinctly different from the other ones. It could almost stand on its own. Yeah, it absolutely yeah. could stand on its own. To the degree that when I watched it the first time I thought this is something else that they put the paranormal activity tag on to make it that. But it's not. It's not. Yeah, totally. It is very different. So conceptually, this movie was done. uh, They specifically wanted to make a movie to shift towards the Latino demographic. But in doing so, yeah, they make this movie that just conceptually pivots a bit from the franchise and, and is unique in a few different ways. And one of which is in terms of so this is the first movie in the franchise we have that isn't about rich white people. And it is so insanely refreshing just from the beginning. True. It was like, oh, this was Oasis in the Desert after watching all these movies in rapid succession just from the beginning. Yeah, without question. And it it also diverges in that the characters that you meet as you meet them are interesting. Yes. They're funny. There's yes. more jokes in this movie than in all the rest of them combined. Yep. You really connect to the characters a lot stronger. Yeah, they're, they're, just, they're good people. They're and you, charming. You enjoy seeing them live their lives. You know, you enjoy the friendship. It, it just, it's a really vastly different movie, even in just how it, in the arc of the movie itself. And what's going on is different. It's not a ghost coming in for the first one more, but you know, it's, it's eventually this, the demon and whether it's Toby or not, I don't think it's ever really established. Mm. At this point, uh, it, it, it becomes... implies that it isn't because it implies that they're making this this army of eighteen year olds for for demons, which this, has this nothing movie... to do with anything else in the franchise. <laughs> no, this movie establishes two things: one, that it is a demonic infection caused by the bite, really the mark that it, you, you get bit and you turn into this thing. Essentially, mm, I look at it. That's what happened to him. That, it that's happened what to happened Katie. to him. But he was set up for that. No, clearly, because the second thing being anyone born on 666, apparently, or something like that, you know, is doomed to be, like, targeted by these things. Yeah, I mean, it's established that he was targeted as a yes. child to be a host for one of these. Right. And he was he was targeted and then chosen, and then it starts when he gets the bite. Yeah, but the bite is consistent throughout all the films. Yes. Anybody who gets yep. bit becomes yeah. demonic. And but initially, it, it's played off as Toby just being aggressive. And now this movie re- redefines it as, no, this is what causes you to become this demonically possessed thing. Toby's not in you. You're just demonic now. Oh. But it, it just, like you said, it's refreshing. It just does things so much better. It's not about relationship problems. It's, it's almost a coming-of-age-ish vibe to a degree. But I just, I like, I like the characters. I like the story. I like the, the fact that, you know, as he starts to get possessed, it gives him superpowers. <laughs> yeah, like, that's it, just fun. That has a couple benefits. Um, so one is it gives the movie again a, a bit of a unique feel, but the other thing is is it kind of deflects the too stupid to live element of the movie slightly. 
so when you have this kid who has preternatural or is given these supernatural abilities by this thing, that deflects a bit of the, you know, why wouldn't you just do such and such? So it, it kind initially of, it's just all win for him. Yeah. So, yeah. so it definitely buffers the, the, why wouldn't you panic sooner about some mm-hmm. of this stuff? I mean, it's a decidedly odd setup, you know, the things he can do and that he just kind of accepts it as, hey, cool. But from the horror aspect, it deflects some of the, you know, face palmy elements that kind of come up in the I, previous ones. That's one of my complaints is when they, accidentally turn the Simon board into a Ouija board and don't get immediately wigged out by that. (laughs) The grandmother does. Yes, she does. Rightfully so. Yep. But it's a Simon says, which was a toy I had as a kid. And it's awesome. And at no point in this movie does a Ouija board make an appearance. True. Which automatically makes it the best film in the franchise. <laughs> I get so annoyed by Ouija boards in every damn film. <laughs> but it might as well have been a Ouija board. It was like they were like, well, we can't use Might Ouija as board. well have been this. is not being a Ouija board. <laughs> it's different. Do you think Toby was like really frustrated by that? Like in the previous films, it was like, what do you want? He had this little marker. He'd go, H-U-N-T hunt. And this one, he's like asking him questions. Like, I got four buttons, kids. You better stick to binary. Yes, no questions. Um, you're kind of hamstringing me here. I did find it interesting that it didn't answer, are you good? Mm-hmm. Like, I, yeah. I mean, that, uh, the question is, does it see itself as beyond good and evil? Or did it just not want to freaking tell him? <laughs> it's like, yeah. What, what was the intent behind the non-answer? That that was interesting to me. Yeah, uh, I mean, God only knows. It probably doesn't see itself as. I mean, evil doesn't generally see itself as evil. So you know, he's just like, look, I, you know, as as we establish in Ghost Dimension, I just want a body. One could argue it's the classic <laughs> trope of you know everyone's the hero in their own story. Yeah. The, one of the only odd things I don't like about it is the the scene that's not in the cinematic cut, which is the Black Mirror. Yeah, because it doesn't really serve for anything. It, it's an alternate explanation for as to why he might become possessed. Yeah, and it, it doesn't serve the story really. No, yeah, and it gives a little bit more context to the ending sequence when they're going through the house. They see another black mirror set up, so it gives more context to that. But that's not something I needed context for, right? Because I saw the theatrical version originally, which again excises the sequence that sets that up and. Didn't bat an eye at seeing, yeah. you know. It's one of those things. You break into a coven's house and there's a bunch of scary witches. You're not going to, like, question the decor. Not it's like, oh, it's do- witch shit. Who the cares? Door, <laughs> the door clearly had symbols on it. You don't need to discuss the concept of portals to use one. Well, but you, you get the... Don't they explain the door? Like, doesn't that get mentioned in 4 or something? Well, no. Uh, or is it just earlier in this It's film? in this one. It's, this is it's when, it when they... It, yeah, yeah. It's and when they, they really use it in... You know, and then they ruin Ghost, it in, yeah, in ru- Ghost Dimension. Yeah. Yeah, the, when they meet the daughter from the second one, when they call her in for the, the exposition dump sequence, uh, that's one of the things she mentions is that they can fashion these doors that take yeah. them to, I believe they Different say, Different times and places of yeah. unholy, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. unholy locations. Oh, yeah, yeah, and that that's, it gives them the great lines. She, she, if she could time travel, she could time travel to the Bahamas. Right? She's staying here this whole... <laughs> I will say one thing for the Black Mirror scene. It's just got that great... Why can't we just go buy a Black Mirror? Where are we going to buy a black mirror, you idiot? <laughs> but that's but that's what makes this movie so good is the interaction between the two friends and yep. and the sister and the grandma. The grandma the is the best yeah. character yeah. in all of these movies. She's fantastic. Chick weight, you know. Yep. <laughs> Grandmom's fantastic. Dad's fine for the brief moments we see him. The, mm-hmm. the leads all have great interactions, and we're introduced to Arturo. <laughs> who finally has the solution <laughs> to the, the problem that we've been waiting for for five movies now. You're dealing with the Coven of Witches and some weird shit? I got just the thing in the trunk for this. Yes. <laughs> but that's the best loaded thing. to bear. It's the <laughs> smartest decision just about anybody makes in any of these movies. Other than in three, 
when the videographer's partner has the encounter with Toby and he's just like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> Consider <laughs> this my two smartest weeks. person in the whole franchise. Yeah. Is that they, it's like, well, we have to go here and rescue him. We need help. Let's go get the guys with the guns. And they yep. do. And they do. Yep. And it works. Briefly. Sort of. <laughs> Arturo outright pulls a shotgun out of his trunk, cocks it, and says, let's go smoke these bitches. Yep. <laughs> and at that point, it was like, yeah, this is at least second best in the franchise already. <laughs> and, and he does! Yeah, yeah, they kill some, it's the only time that the coven takes casualties in yep. the entire damn series. That's true. Yep. And they keep getting these dumb psychics who, who are ineffectual and just don't they don't do anything, even though they're they're effective. Like the two most effective people against the bad guys in this are the grandma yep. with the eggs, yep, who pisses it off, and the uh, the maid in the um Martine in the Martine, yep. Yep. yep, you know which and Martine, Martine has by the, far the most successful of yeah, everyone in the entire franchise, and she's got the magical ethnic person stereotype problem, but she's still the only one who does anything good. Just to fall back to two a little bit, it's like. If your only solution is to pass this thing between family members, why didn't they just go back up to like Katie like four weeks later and go, look, seeing some shit? Yeah. All right, we're going to keep passing this thing back and forth, and that should be fine up until you die. <laughs> Toby's getting passed around like a volleyball. Oh, no, I'm going to take root. No, no, I'll take root. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, just keep hot potatoing Toby around between family members. I mean, it sucks, but it's a solution. (laughs) (laughs) Is it like kids in a divorce or something? Like, look, it's your turn to take Toby for the weekend. (laughs) I'm going on vacation. I need you to take Toby. It's the um, the it follows solution. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Just keep delaying the inevitable, and then you don't have to worry about it. I can't fix it, but you know what? You can take it from me for a bit. Just, you know, get rid of all these use plastic wear instead of glass, and you're fine. <laughs> oh, Toby hates glass. Yes. That's something we establish every single movie. He hates glass. Even Tokyo Nights. Yeah. Yep. He hates <laughs> fish in Tokyo Nights, too. <laughs> yeah, he, there's a sequence in Tokyo Nights where he explicitly goes around the room smashing every piece of glass in the yeah. shot. And third one, he's breaking lamps. First one, crabbing. He is, I think it's Nellophobia is the fear of glass. That is, <laughs> add that to the list of Toby's anxieties. He's absolutely terrified of glass. That's what, why they use black mirrors is because they can't see reflection. He's like, all right. Related to that, the scene from Tokyo Nights is they have this fish on the table. And every time he's cooking and they're eating dinner, they're eating fish in front of this fish. And it just seems so mean to me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But so go, going back to the, to the marked ones, there's just so many little touches in it that are, for a horror movie, just charming. And it makes you like the characters and get invested in what's going on. So much more so than just about any any of these other movies, except maybe three. And his, the first day, you know, he's, you think he's possessed. How does he spend the morning? Dick on his face. Yep. <laughs> and it's hilarious. But there's this, this serious exposition in that scene, and he's talking, he's got it written, and it's just... It's, and it's, the sister walks in, and it's just, oh, it's great. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, like, they go to the party, and then, you know, he can give me a kiss on the cheek scene, which is hilarious. And also does a good amount of just tertiary exposition and fleshing things out with the coven and the little bits and pieces, you know, the exposition. Ghost Dimension ruins it. But yes. but they do, watching them in that sequence, you hit marked ones, it was like, okay, this does a, an, an interesting amount of fleshing this out with the coven and giving context. To yeah, this. and it brings in Allie Ray from the second one. Yep. And nice it gives her something to do. And, yeah. and it's interesting. And then, I don't know, I just, everything about it is, to me, is it's making a good horror movie. Because what good horror movies do is it makes, it's the Stephen King thing. Mm-hmm. You You like the characters first. Then you worry about, 
what's going on around them. Like you're not watching this one to see what the demon does. You're watching it because these characters are entertaining and fun and they're hilarious. And you know, the dude charts himself in a scene. (laughs) There's not much progressed in that. It's just funny. And you know, even the just, you know, setting it where it does is is so different from all, you know, 90% of horror movies, which takes place because somebody has a rich uncle who's got a nice house they can film in. Mm. I liked so much about it. It's just a good movie. Whether, you know. I felt the ending was a little weak. All right. So let's talk about the ending. (laughs) (laughs) The raid on the compound is great. That's fantastic. As long as every bit in that house works. I think there's there's a couple of things I don't like about that. One, I don't like how she dies. Off screen. She dies off screen and just falls through the glass roof. Yeah. Which, just because she's a prominent character, it just seems kind of like... It's like, well, I understand that if you're dealing with a found footage type scenario, that the person holding the camera may not actually be privy to everything that happens in an environment. Right. You're right. It just doesn't seem fair to the character And and it's a callback to the earlier scene where the other guy... Where Oscar commits suicide. Oscar commits suicide. Mm -hmm. And you wonder if he actually did. But of course, of course he did. Of course, because he's already possessed. Yeah, he was already possessed. So... It makes for a decent jump scare. It's horrifying, so it's effective on that level. But it just it felt like it didn't do justice to that particular character. Agreed. I didn't like when he turns around and it's just that old lady. Popper one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because every other like quick you know whip around camera shot where there's a reveal, it's multiple people They're charging yes. them. Yep. Yeah. That one, she's just standing there talking. The one, the, the the one blind camera. old lady, yeah. You know, and she's cle- you know, I understand it's freaky, but you're freaked out. And at some point, it's a fight or flight scenario. When you you there's a fight instinct in you. Yeah. You know, like he didn't immediately take off booking when they got mugged. To be fair, he tried to get his friend out. As of discussed it. earlier, he could have spun around, yelped, and fallen into a piece of furniture nearby. Not that I would know that from experience from situations that happened, but yeah, that could happen. Look, just because you're a coward <laughs> doesn't mean our boy won. <laughs> But he's already in a situation where he yes. knows things are yes. coming for him. At some point, you you fight back. Of course. Maybe. You know, and he's not the toughest guy. No, it, no, It's no. established. It? But at the same time, he reacts. Like when when the grandmother is down the street, he reacts yes. yep. correctly to that. And, yes. and this and he just, he turns and runs. It's not a big thing. Like You, you would have liked a bit more You fighting. can for certainly justify it. I just I wanted that. to see a witch get punched. I respect <laughs> it. I respect it. So I didn't like those two aspects of it. <laughs> the other thing that always gets to me. Is is the scene where he's in the room and what's his face starts talking to him? He's like, "Let me in, I'm scared." Yeah, Jesse starts talking. Jesse to starts him. talking to him. Like, "Hey, I'm cool. Yeah, let me cool. in. Hector, yeah, let me in." Like you understand, I'm that. on your side. But the sheer time he takes to come through that door, like it was made out of <laughs> tissue paper. Like, why did you? First, the time for him to go over here and open the other door. Doesn't work. He was tying a shoe or something. He would have. He's like, "Oh, I need to kill time." He would have gotten him. Is what I'm saying yeah. before he gets it. So that. It always clicks in my head, like my internal counter, that the timing is off in that mm-hmm. scene. And it annoys me. Because all they have to do is just have him punch through and then go. Yeah. But still, you know, him tearing through, it's it's scary. And then he goes through the time portal. All right. So they, it is the <laughs> Chekhov's gun reference, like you said. They establish the fact that there are portals that if you right. go through them, you go to unholy yeah. places in different times and locations. So it's nice that they at least address that. But the problem is the purpose of it is just blah. Like they, yeah. they, they go, okay, cool. You know what we're going to do? We're going to do a nice throwback. We're going to give you some more Katie and yeah. Micah because that's what we know you love. So just <laughs> randomly throw him back into the past to see Micah get, you know, get his due for no reason. It's, it's really, it, it, 
it really is to me to establish the fact well, that the, the only constants is- in this franchise are Katie and Toby. They're the only things you can yeah. almost guarantee. So I don't love it. I don't hate it because you get to watch Micah die, which of certainly I appreciate because <laughs> um, you're robbed of that in the first film. <laughs> <laughs> and the problem I have is that there's now technically, theoretically, two bodies there because you don't know that there's a portal back. There's certainly no door in that house that has the symbols written over it. Feels like it'd be a one-way gate. Right. So, so they're, they're all, this brings up so many other questions, though. Yeah. So because these time traveled now. But does it change he, the timeline? Is things different now? Yeah, right. it's. Uh, and when you read stuff, when you read articles about this, there's a lot of theories both ways. Do, do they change time? This is a dimensional portal and all this and that. I just think it's for a movie that's doing such a good job being its own thing in this universe. It didn't need this. With, it already has the connection with Ali Ray. You didn't need it. Like it didn't bother me so much. It mm-hmm. didn't like I didn't. It didn't take away from this. I don't think this was a lesser film for the ending. I just don't. I think they could have had a stronger ending. Or Agreed. what I would have done if I was making this is he would have gone through that portal. There would have been nothing there. It'd have been closed. He would have come in, seen them get thrown to the door. She starts killing him. He just fucking leaves. Goes back. Yeah. Just not, no, not even back. He just goes out that door, and now this dude is living in, in 2005. <laughs> and that's how it ends with him running down the damn street. See, I would, I would actually, away from it. what I would have been more interested in is, you know, if these portals are only to unholy places in time and space, it's like, you're right, he bolts, he ends at the door, but the minute he goes out the front door, he's back in his normal time. Like, the limitations on the portal is you can only exist in this unholy moment. Would have been interesting. That would have been. That would but be I more still like my bed with yeah. him beating it down the street. <laughs> <laughs> just, just getting away is like I'm done with this because I, I don't know. It would have been different. Sometimes it's fun when people survive in these movies. Mm-hmm. And just you know, yeah, we don't really have any confirmed survival in this one. But I'm taking Arturo as a confirmed that he lives. Yeah, you don't see him. Die. We see him get his head hits a window, but oh, that's yeah. it. So he could easily still survive. So I, I think he finished the job there and you cleaned up at the house. <laughs> In my head cannon, Arturo's still somewhere yeah. shooting his shotgun. My, my money is on Arturo. While the possessed individual is dealing with stuff in the past, Arturo is fixing the future. <laughs> what, what I <laughs> want to see is because they talk about Arturo being a gang, and he shows up earlier when they're filming him across the street. Yeah. That's Arturo that's yep, in the yep, car. Yep. I like to think that the rest of those guys knew they were going, showed up later, and just cleaned house. <laughs> <laughs> just like eliminated this place. Because, you know, they killed their boy. Raised it to the ground. Somebody's coming back. The they're not going to let that just go. <laughs> they're not going to let that slide. That's not how that works. Yep. But overall, I just, I liked it. It has one of my, my second favorite single scene in all of these franchises. The the scene where he, he's not in the room and then the room bends and then he pops into existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't like, make like sense in like, terms of anything, but it's cool as hell to it's, see. It's almost like he was on like just the other side of our dimension or something. He kind of pulled himself through. Yeah. yeah. Pulled into the... Bum, bum, bum. Ghost, Ghost dimension. dimension. Which brings us to hell. Yeah. Not from the movie, per se, but for ourselves. So let's... <laughs> Anybody yeah, have any parting thoughts on the marked ones? Um, Enjoyed it. One quick parting thought on, on marked ones, and then I'll segue into Ghost Dimension. On that effect you mentioned, if the box office numbers online are to be believed, marked ones had the same budget as the fourth one. They were both $5 million. Huh. So in terms of... In, and seeing yeah, what they, all of that sweet, sweet connect money. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so, yeah, so in terms of that, yeah, seeing what Marked Ones did with presumably the same amount of money, it's, re- it's really more impressive what they did on that. For the ghost dimension, so when I went back and I watched the first Paranormal Activity and I got to the sequence where we saw the Ouija board burst into flames, I was thinking... 
we have so many friends of the podcast who are musically inclined. We should probably get someone to just write us a rock jingle that we can play every time. So every time we hit that too stupid to live moment, we can just insert Jacob is out of fox to give. His character is too stupid to live. Their common sense is in the negative. The script says you're too stupid to live. Great. Every time we hit a movie and we just randomly search, Jacob is out of Fox to give. Um, Shannon, Shannon, if you're listening, we, we need we, you. We need you. I need, I need a we hero. We need a favor. But the problem with that is then you get to Ghost Dimension. And if we played that music cue every time you hit a too stupid to, oh, to live oh moment, my God. our review of Ghost Dimension would be, Jacob is out of Fox. Jacob is out of Fox. Jacob, 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 Jacob. Right, I want to start off by... And people at home are thinking... Our poor audience is thinking, I don't know how, but this podcast is skipping a groove. <laughs> J, 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 J. So, I would like to start off saying about this. Thank you very much. Talk about this film and say, I once received a box set of classic sci-fi as, mm. as a Christmas present. And it was like 50 films in one box. Mm -hmm. And that's because it's all like just low budget no longer, you know, owned by yeah, any public domain. Yeah, so, public yeah. domain stuff. And so there's some neat nuggets in there, and over half of it has been used for Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> but I just get to watch without their commentary. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you about how much I love that. But there was in this box set two movies. One was about this weird kind of alien race dealing with another alien race on this planet. And it was like, all right, that was interesting, whatever. And then the next movie, the very next movie on the list of there was about these Earth people in the space shuttle coming to this planet, kind of experiencing that movie next to it. Like they just kept playing clips from the first movie and them going, oh, what is that noise? And you know, it, it's all them kind of following the plot of the other one. So it's like we made a whole new movie with 30 minutes of extra content. Like, and I got a strong feeling on about with that in relation to this film. Because it just yeah. it was I felt like number three got almost completely replayed for me watching Ghost Dimension. Uh, literally. Yeah, they even yeah. watched the almost sex scene. Yeah, they did. Which you also get an almost sex scene in uh, Mark ones, too. Uh, yes, you yes, do. Yes, we do. Yes, you do. I'm going to go back and mention that real now. <laughs> <laughs> because I forgot to before. It's another scene that bothers me with the timing. Because he leaves to get a condom. And then it implies that it takes him more than two minutes to get back there. He only has to go to the building above him. He's got to go upstairs. No, upstairs. Up yeah. the stairs to his apartment, grab it, come down. That's this is, it. This is a guy with demon powers who is about to have sex. He will move like the Flash. He should have just flown through the goddamn ceiling into the next apartment. <laughs> Barrel rolled out the window, <laughs> dived up, because we established he can almost fly. Well, maybe yeah. he was worried about, like, you know, worried about, like, your father finding your pornos or finding condoms or something. So he has his one condom, like, locked in a safe, which is 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 buried outside. <laughs> so it could have been he's just outside furiously shoveling dirt, and that's why See, it took him. I just want some scene where he goes upstairs, runs in to his grandmother she's like you have to do this thing he's like oh, i got this other thing i need to do she grabs him by the ear he has to like, clean the goddamn kitchen or something then gets the condom and comes back down you know that would work for me but you get none of it no. this is definitely not us avoiding talking about ghost dimension <laughs> <laughs> well we're out of time thank you so thank you for playing good night in terms of like nick mentioned in replaying segments of paranormal activity three and in the ghost dimension we open with that. The movie opens by replaying oh the ending God. sequence of Paranormal Activity 3. 
you instantly know you're in trouble because they go back and they redo the sound effect uh, from Dennis dying. So in the original, you hear like this kind of bassy roar before Dennis has his back broken and the camel clutch makes him humble. <laughs> the But in this one, they redo it so it sounds like a velociraptor screech or something like yeah. that, where they really play it to the hilt. And so instantly it's like, oh, no, it's we're already overdoing it. So I agree with you there. But even with that change, I was excited because I, in my head at least, was like, cool, now we get to deal with the actual marriage, the bride bits they talked about earlier. They're going to progress the plot in a way that will work. Boy, did and you lose. Then I get clubbed in the goddamn head <laughs> by a little slugger wrapped in barbed wire when they decide, you know what this matriarchal coven really needs? A male lead. Male lead, yes. It's the sexist thing I'd seen in the yep. entire franchise. I'm like, are you kidding me? And yeah. it was always oh, totally strip club owner hair, too. Oh, my God. He's <laughs> awful. He's absolutely awful. He's like, hello, children. Now let me explain to you how I know everything you need to know. It will teach you in all the ways... I'm clearly and everyone so defers to him. Yep. and upsetting. Why did they keep filming? There's no reason for yeah. it whatsoever. So yeah, so the, the ghost they broke dimension. into a house to steal the tapes back. How did they let look? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we see the shot of from the end of Paranormal Activity three with Dennis dying, and then there's a small edit, and somebody we don't see picks up the camera, and then presumably takes it upstairs and films this sequence of them talking to this. Teacher, you know, this yeah. strip club guy who's now apparently running the coven. Are and we don't see who picked up the camera. So it was like, was it Toby? Was it Toby? He's like, I want to play with one of these. I've, I've seen enough of them. <laughs> People keep Arguably, filming. It's a, it's, a, it's a crappy retcon because at the end of three, there's a crunch as the camera goes dark. Like somebody beat the crap out of that camera. Yep. Yeah, they edit that out. Yep. <sighs> yeah. And it's it's really just. We're literally on minute one and we're doing heavy slides. In the, 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 the first. <laughs> so Ghost Dimension kind of build itself as the final movie in this franchise it would build itself as the answers you know the one that's going to tie it all itself, together <laughs> and it was it was supposed to be the grand finale and part of that was the gimmick in this is that you can now see the ghost you get to mm-hmm. see yeah. what what is which is a fundamentally incredibly misunderstanding of what makes the entire franchise go yes half the fear is not knowing what's coming after you yeah and then it Gets some clever ideas about what it wants to do with the franchise, but I really question whether they watched any of the previous movies, except for the parts of the previous movies included in this film. It really felt like someone who had no knowledge of the franchise whatsoever was given a task. It was like somebody was sitting in a room Uh, like, right, right, demonic possession, right, right, uh, whatever. (laughs) But even the you name. You need these five points. I can hit those five points. <laughs> even the name. It's called Ghost Dimension. There's no ghosts Ghost, in yeah. the entire franchise. It's about demons. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they keep constantly establishing that not they are ghosts, not ghosts. Demons. Yep. In every movie. It's one of the two it, things that's, it's one of the two things. It's like, oh, well, it's, it's not a human thing. It is. So it's clearly a demon. And that's what wigs everybody up. Mm-hmm. And then they all instantly believe that you can't run away from a demon, but nobody tries. <laughs> Something that bothers me in every film. Everybody instantly believes. Well, you can't run away from a demon. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess I should wait here then. Have you tried going to Europe? <laughs> it might work. To your argument, it's like, yes, it might follow me, but maybe I'll get like a week reprieve. That'd be nice. Yep. <laughs> Even in the first one. Yeah, it's me that's haunted. Well, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was nice knowing you. And he's clearly an asshole enough. That, that's, that's a fair argument. Micah is asshole enough. He should have been like, 
you know what? Maybe I will just go. <laughs> no, he wouldn't go. She would. She would go. Oh my it's God. his house. He would be like, "Too bad you can't stay." She would. She would have gotten on his case. And like, I hate you, and he would have been like, "Peace." Your sister's house is right across town. Goodbye. If that demon is so intent on pulling the sheets off the bed, maybe it can help me pack. <laughs> so, ghost dimension. Which is not a ghost dimension, it's a demon dimension. Why they didn't call it demon dimensions? It's not like ghost also, dimension is more alliterative. As, yeah. as established, the portals take you to other locations in space and time, not other dimensions. So even the the illusion that you've opened this door to another dimension is interesting. They immediately blow it away, but just making it a portal to a previous awful encounter. Yeah. That's it. It's There's no dimension. There's no ghosts. The the title is a complete lie. <laughs> <laughs> and then just, I mean, just, all right. So with four, it's goofy and incongruous enough that I enjoyed it. Not the case with this movie. It's so broken. Because it clearly feels like, like four is just like, yeah, we're going to just do some stuff, whatever, have fun with it. This one is like, we're going to take this seriously. Like this is like hyper paranormal activity. And everything is just there. bad. Like, there's no, there's no redeeming values. It's not even, even little side things are stupid. Like their tree topper, <laughs> <laughs> the giant angel. It's three feet tall. <laughs> My tree is six feet tall. <laughs> it would cover half of it. And it's, it's this giant. My grandma had this. And your grandma lived in a mansion. With high ceilings that you had to go up the stairs to hang the tree topper? Would you live in a barn? What was it? <laughs> Again, it's, would work if they were a part of the coven, which they're not. Right. But also this tree topper, back to that, because it really bothers me. It, I mean, it's so big, it would fall off the tree. Like, there would, it, even their giant tree in this giant house, it, oh. The problems with this movie literally start at the top. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the muffins. In Twilight. Uh, <laughs> the, the giant, massive like, muffins that no one talks about. This is a thing that's comically oversized, and nobody mentions that it's comically oversized. Like, this isn't top secret. It's not for laughs. <laughs> this is not a camera trick perspective. It's just too goddamn big. Like somebody took a lawn. Somebody making this movie said, we, we need a tree topper. How about this lawn ornament? <laughs> Great. It's as tall as the child. I think it's important to note since we're talking about Ghost Dimension... Hold on, one more thing about the tree before I move <laughs> off of this. Did you notice it blinks throughout the movie? Yes, constantly. Who sets their Christmas tree to blink? Psychopaths. <laughs> okay. All right. So one of the big premises of the film, kind of the whole point of it, honestly, is that in the house they find a box of tapes and this camera. Mm-hmm. This special decked out super kind of sci-fi camera that with six lenses with six lenses and a special kind of adjuster on there. They did never actually figure out what the hell it did that can apparently see ghosts and spirit energy. Who made it? Who left it? Why is it there? How does it see energy? What's the point? All it's, of these questions and more in the next movie. No, no, you're, you're never getting an answer for this a, shit. The, no, 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 no. the camera is designed to look like the camera from three. Yeah. But the dude in three, you know, they, they imply that he's, you know, he never built a spirit he camera. Did he did not even Sp- attempt spirit, to. Spirit photography is a real thing. They yes. have real cameras that do this stuff or try to do this stuff. This was not that. This was just stupid. 
Under no circumstances in any of the films do they imply anyone trying to make this camera or how this camera is made. It yeah. literally might as well have just shown up on their doorstep. That's well, it. But Along it, with all the tapes that explain everything that happened in 3. But it's later implied that the tapes were left there specifically by the coven when Katie sold them the house. Yes. Yeah. While Katie is not seen in this film, she is name-dropped. What a reveal. <laughs> Once again, making Katie the, one of the only constants in the film. Why did we leave the camera, too? So they could see the ghost haunting them. It, yeah. It's clearly they were intended to see the have the camera to see things and clearly have the tapes to know what was going on. But to what end? So they Honestly, can rip, to what end? So they can rip off Lake Mungo in one sequence with them watching the tapes. And That's essentially Having it. things concurrently occurring at two different time periods. I mean, it serves... The bits and the gags they wanted to have happen in the story, but actively serves no benefit to the cult whatsoever. Yeah. All it does is give them some evidence and expectation on what is actually going on so maybe they can save their own daughter. Which, if that was crucial to the ritual, if that was like, we need someone to be trying to save this kid so that they don't and that makes things happen, that would have been interesting Nothing. You get zero of that. All it really does is set up this constant influx of exposition from the lead characters going, well, this must be because of this. Look at this tape. Oh, look at this. This matters. Oh, look, I can see everything. It is so heavy handed and just dumb and logically does not work. And they don't whatsoever. react the way they should. Not even really. No, this is a, a, as soon as they introduce the element of the camera being able to see the supernatural stuff. Then the movie is instantly, it's walking too stupid to live moment. Yeah. It's from, as soon as you see anything from that, get even just the, the inky stuff, is like, get out. <laughs> and they, they do it really early on. But when he first sees this, what is this in the room? And then he puts his head in it and it changes the way he hears. Yep. Yeah. It's like being underwater, which doesn't happen any other time people walk through it. But when he does that and then they don't immediately, you know, blow up this, you know, we're going to call the news and all this and that, then it makes no sense. And, but even, like, minor details don't make any sense. Like, all right, so the brother's staying there for two weeks. Sure. Who's the lady? Her sister. Was it her sister? They never explain Why it. Why is but she The there? lady who's staying there? No, I think she's just a friend who's there for her yoga retreat. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh. You're right, it's not probably. But then explained. helps take care of the children. Yep. And, you know, they try to start to imply that the, the brother is going to hit on her, but never happens. And it just... You know, it's like, why are these, who are these characters? Why are they there? What purpose do they serve? They certainly don't preserve any purpose towards the end. Yeah, no. There's, there's nothing that those two characters do other than a couple of, you know, chit-chat moments that wouldn't have been better served by just nobody being there. No, exactly. And it's, it's <laughs> I like, like, if you take it on the surface, the idea behind it, that this is the, the sixth movie in this franchise, that's based on people finding the tapes because they're found friends. They find the tapes from a previous movie mm -hmm. and then kind of learn about it that way. That's that's kind of meta, kind of interesting. Right. It makes the tapes an actual catalyst. Right. Versus they, being put in the damn situation by the cult. Yeah, and they do it so poorly. And then you find out, oh, you know, our house is built on the ancient cultist burndown house. Rebuilt to help summon a demon. How? Because it's got a circle. I mean, it's just... <laughs> Just nothing follows any kind of logical progression, but it's also not wild enough to be funny. No. Like, it's it never steps over into that point where... Here, this is what I wrote about that, by the way. My note is, so their house is built on a mediocre movie graveyard? Which <laughs> I... 
<laughs> and then, like, just even some of the progression stuff in terms of the haunting. Like, the kid biting and attacking somebody at school. It happened real early. Yeah. Real early. Like, that, like, almost instantly. And they don't do much with it. No. <laughs> She's pretty calm after that, up until she bites the priest. But at that point, it's actually warranted. Yeah. Yeah, and the father's one defense for his actions at one point in the film is he, he tells his wife, he says, I just want to know where it's going and what it wants. And then sees countless examples of where it's going and clearly implies what it wants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, I still need to know more. I'm not, I'm not sold yet. All right, I'm going to go over the thing I like most about it and the thing I hated most about it. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, that is it the same thing? No, 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 no. <laughs> to its credit, I did enjoy... Well, they shouldn't have been doing it in the first goddamn place. So there's this video of the teacher getting them to be, you know, see the future, which is just, you're right, just dumb. There's zero reason why they should be filming this. And it completely throws off almost the entire timeline of like, like the kids only work. Christy and Katie only work in one and two. if They have zero memory of what happened as kids. But this establishes they had like years of training and tutelage under this guy, which makes zero sense. That being said, when they start doing their premonitions of things that are happening right there in Here's the Here's training and tutelage for what? Right. Right. They don't use any of it. <laughs> they don't use any of to it. To become demon brides, who the demon then kills or possesses. Well, she kills one and possesses the other. Well, the sole purpose of dealing with the kid, we, uh, Taunter, we cares more about. And yeah, frankly, it kills the one that gave him the male heir. Oh, my yep. God. Keeps the other one around. Yep. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. But anyway, they have that moment where they're doing the premonitions and the people are like, oh, crap. The permanent right what's happening right now. Oh, you know, that was kind of fun. That was like the one thing I'll give them. That was a fun moment. The one thing I just can't forgive is the kid. one thing. Oh, wait till we get to me. The one that sticks <laughs> in my crawl. The one that sticks in my crawl is the kid gets something in, up in her gut and has to put symbols up on the wall, which is clearly this kind of like door frame format of and the symbols. And they show up, they go, Oh, that looks you know, scary, intimidating. There's a pattern here. I think it has I think I saw something in the videos about this. This is clearly an issue, it matters. I'll just leave it. I'm like, what are you doing? He says specifically, he says, I know some of those symbols from the... <laughs> from the coven. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? They're... We'll just leave it. They're fine. This doesn't call for Clorox at all. <laughs> it's not just... What could possibly Clean happen it. if we left this above our child's bed while she sleeps? Nothing could possibly go you know, wrong. we've established supernatural behavior all around <laughs> us. There's not... Hey, there's the video not... blessed me after I sneezed. There is not a single skeptic in that house. Everyone believes what is going on. Everyone is fascinated by the original video. Which is the only thing Every- I liked about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Every single person. That at least no one's putting up a fight about or an argument. Yeah. Every do anything single right, person that filmed. But they don't fight But it. they're not arguing about is it. It's like, this is what's happening. Oh, wow, that's what's happening. Hey, look, here's the evidence. That's the evidence. It's like they go so far to the exposition and zero arguments that everyone is on the exact same page at any given time. Which, it, it helps the story along, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, the plot is just so utterly nonsensical. It keeps trying to give you a bunch of twists that don't really work or make anything or add anything to it. Like, here's, you know what my biggest problem with the film is? Far and away, being able to see the demon adds nothing. Yeah, so this movie's predicated on, so the big technological advancement for this one is that you now have the ability to see the demon. Conceptually, it makes sense to do it if it is indeed the last movie in the franchise. Then you know, pulling you know, it's like, all right, we're going to show you everything. You know, we're we're pulling back the curtain. That makes sense conceptually, but you have to make it visually interesting, and it's not. It just Toby it's just, just looks just like black snot for he, most of it. He's the mm-hmm. opening credits of Qui Don just standing around, and it, oh, the movie also <laughs> establishes that 
Toby just has two modes in this movie. Barry Allen and fence post. <laughs> he is either standing dead still or he's making a beeline to strafe that camera. He loves strafing that camera every yep. chance he gets. You know, I paused the scene where they're out in the lawn when it blows by him. Mm-hmm. I started going frame by frame because I wanted to see what it looked like. Like, you know, if, if they did anything. And it's, it's just a black Yep, cloud. Yep. Yeah, no, it's it's nondescript up until the sequence when they try and banish it at the end. That's up until they pause yeah. the t- tapes. It it starts it's to like, become more human shaped yeah. mm-hmm. as it goes, but not enough that it Well, there's that one moment where it basically is Santa Claus at the end of the hall. Oh yeah, I have I have some <laughs> notes about that. <laughs> like it literally like has the forethought to go, Oh, you'll think this is your brother trying to creep you out in a Santa gear. Let's do this. And like, what is the point it's just it's so, <laughs> so pointless well here's what here's what i was thinking about that it's a callback that's all it is no it's a callback to an earlier scene so when they catch her doing the ralph wiggum thing where she's trying to light fires or no it's i'm sorry it's not that she's looking up the chimney yeah in the chimney before she's like the random blonde person comes over and says are you waiting for santa and she says get away from me and then after that santa is standing in the hall I just feel yeah. it was an excuse to use the creepy it's Santa mask. Incredibly stupid. They they established <laughs> the creepy Santa mask, which you don't see in that scene. Nope. No. It doesn't it. turn around and look at you and be scary. Yep. It's just standing there. He turns around, turns back, and it's gone. How? In other movies where it disappears, whatever was around it falls to the ground. There's no Santa costume on the ground. Nope. It's gone. It fully embodied the look of Santa. It's just it's a phenomenally stupid scene where somebody said, Hey, this would be clever. And it doesn't add anything. It doesn't bring anything to the table. It's just one of those where you're just, you know, if you've seen it in the theater, you would look to the person next to you going, what the hell was that? But so much of this movie is that. It's like the Bible, her trying to burn the Bible. It's the first time that's happened. Yeah. I would like to point one thing out real quick. Because once again, I was paying attention to the dates. So the movie actually starts like November 29th. A fair amount of the stuff we described actually has happened before December 12th, which it titles... Night number one. Like, wait. <laughs> Night number one is, is always in the movies when they start videotaping the part of the place. But they didn't. The videotape started before that. Did they? Yes. Okay. Then that's, it literally, oh my God, it's ridiculous. It's. This is all the Carl's bad police department striking again. Though. Like, uh, no, technically we, we didn't do this night one. Because <laughs> they're the folks putting all the lettering I, on. And I really so. feel like they were leading up to things kind of reaching a conclusion closer to the solstice. But these things only go on for about two to three weeks. So two to three weeks before the solstice, we'll start numbering the nights. That's what it really felt like to me. <laughs> like, we're just going to shoehorn this in here because it'll work better. Or it could just be a mistake or not well thought out. I'm going to go with that one. I, mean, I don't they, think they care. Here's mine. They missed it by two <laughs> days, but in the community, the first season holiday episode, there's a running gag of it being December 10th. <laughs> I think that's what it's about. It's the most important <laughs> day of the year. It's December 10th. <laughs> and they still couldn't get that right. You know, I have a note here that's, I'm still thinking about the cat from number four that no one mentioned or interacted with. That's how well I was paying attention to this movie. I miss that cat. No. I miss the fork that predicts the future. I like that they never put the tree traffic cone back on top after it falls off in the one scene. <laughs> Actually, this note here uh, I wrote down while watching it says, It's Toby! I hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, just reading my notes, they're, they're so incredulous. It's like, they swear in front of this kid a lot. 
Their decisions just get worse and worse. I genuinely cannot believe they didn't erase the symbols on the wall. <laughs> the only bit where my notes go into all caps, because most of it I was just shaking my head, but there's the sequence where the brother and the house guest circle back to the house and they're looking through the tapes and it's when they have the big exposition dump. And it's when the woman's going through the book and she has the bit where she reads out and I wrote it down. So it's, she's reading through one of the demon books and she says, the slain lambs will be used against God for the blood of the chosen ones will taint it and help give life to one of the seven princes of hell. Each prince shall return through the blood of the two born of the same moon. That's Leela and Hunter. It's their blood. What if the witches are using them as some kind of ritual to give Toby a human body? All of that is ADR. None of that is her speaking on set. If you watch that camera, there's nowhere. So that was... Wow. They thought, oh, we got to dump this ridiculous amount of exposition in post. <laughs> like they weren't already. <laughs> yeah. And then the line after that is the brother saying, what are you saying? <laughs> like, Pretty succinct what she just said. Well, I guarantee that got added in after they made the stupid ending. Yeah. So, yeah, that let's get into the, the two different endings. <laughs> yeah. I have one more thing. There was one thing I liked in this film, and it's just one line. It's the first night when everything is like like getting bounced around. They get chased behind like the kitchen counter. Okay. And the brother goes, fuck me, Ryan. Next time I'm just going to stay at mom's. <laughs> that was good. That I was laughed good. at that. <laughs> like that. That's a top five line in all of these movies. That was just <laughs> funny. <sighs> so the endings. <laughs> The theatrical ending, they they bring the priest in, starts to do some stuff around the house. They have this this very small circle that's hard for them all to stand in. Yes. And if you think about the physics of him filming, he is not in the thing when he's filming. Yeah. Uh, no. They say, go get the kid. It's time. They bring the kid down. They say, get in the circle. Priest is not in the circle. Nope. You know, they say, all right, what's next, father? Priest gets yanked off into the shadows. Stuff happens. Finally, she starts reading the Bible verse. They some like it jumps at them. They all jump out of the circle, and it gets into the circle. They throw the holy water soaked sheets on him, mm -hmm. and you see its face or whatever its physical form. Mm -hmm. Then they read the Bible verse. It goes away. The kid wakes up. Says, "Mommy and Daddy, where are we?" Now there's two endings. This is where they change. Theatrical ending. They say, you know, everything's. Uh, I forget, does the light go out? Uh, well, the lights are still out. They're still in the night vision for this whole sequence okay. um, that they had turned on when the ritual started. Because the lights go out in the house when the priest starts the ritual. And when the daughter wakes up, the father's behind the camera and he says something along the lines of, I think everything's okay. And then the camera turns to the house guest who's frozen and has inky blackness crawling up her neck. She proceeds to vomit up a acid? black acid of yeah. some kind onto the brother. Taking him out. Takes him out. The parents and the daughter then make a beeline for upstairs. And at this point, they start booking it when they've established very clearly at the beginning of the movie how heavy this camera is. Yet everyone insists on taking it with them as they're running. Mm. It might be that the daughter is magically teleported back to her room because that's where they're headed is, is to a bedroom. Yeah, that's right. It's the only thing that um, works. Yeah, and then the, the wife and the husband are running down the hall and then the, the hand he bursts the out chest of his chest. Yeah. yeah. So at this point, we should probably mention uh, that, yeah, this movie was the first of the paranormal activities that was shown in 3D. 
in oh. theaters. Oh, is that, that explains why? So much. Yeah. So, so yeah, a lot of these really goofy effects that it's doing, like the doofy effect that they use for Toby, where it's like all the, it basically looks like silt and water that's just kind of hovering there. Yep. That's all for a 3D effect. It's just yep. so you would have a change in, in depth of image. That makes sense. And I generally hate 3D in movies, so that didn't endear the movie to me anymore. And so, yeah, so of course the mother turns around with the camera and Toby's arm plunges through the dead and, and starts actually grasping at the camera for this, you know, really Freddy's dead, the final nightmare levels of gaudy 3D, you know, effects. So dad's dead. Mother makes it into the bedroom, sees that the gate her daughter has drawn is now open. So she ducks in there. Yeah. And she she ducks into the gate and then they pop out in, I guess it's 1988. Yes. Because mm. the, the uh, Christy and Katie are there as kids. That's right. And they, they end up in the basement somehow and they end up in a corner and the mom, presumably Toby in human form, you, you see like mm-hmm. scuffed up feet come over, breaks her neck and then takes the kid's hand and walks off. It gives the impression that it used uh, a bit of Leela's blood to turn Hunter into the physical form of Toby. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, even the Hunter stuff in this specific movie is very, you can infer that based yes. on them talking about Hunter in the to. previous films. But yeah, it's yeah, because it does shows, show up on the door. Yeah, but he, it he also, does show up briefly, but yeah, they don't, all that stuff is just left. Yeah, it shows that Hunter has traveled back in time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the one ending. Yeah, and it's, it's brutally awful. Yes. Yeah. Like everything Terrible. after, after they excise it is just trash. And they should be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> it's, you know, even the idea of him wanting a physical form doesn't make much sense at this point because clearly he can do whatever the hell he wants in his current form. True. Yeah, like, what does he need a physical form for? Start a Burger King franchise. <laughs> that's my headcanon for why he needed, he mentioned start a Burger King franchise because that's what this family does. <laughs> Back in 1988. So theoretically, this happens before all the other movies. He is a physical form before all the other movies. Yep. You gotta love how much we ragged on the fourth one for being, you know, kind of nonsensical. And then the subsequent movies say, you know what this franchise needs? Time travel. <laughs> so tell me about the other ending. So the other, that one. the other ending is staggeringly better. Not which hard to don't go. get your hopes yeah. <laughs> up. But it's much better. So they wake up and then it cuts to four months later. Okay. And it's them video, it's the, the brother videotaping the husband's butt crack <laughs> as they're moving. Out or good, yeah, yeah, moving into a new place, yeah, sweet, yeah. And so then it, I forget exactly what happens. Then it, it, they're moving boxes around. The videotape um, falls out. He stomps on it. Yeah, they as the brothers move in boxes, somebody gasps and they pan back and they see it's one of the VHS tapes is just kind of has fallen out of one of the boxes. And they imply basically that they thought they destroyed all of that. Right. And so yeah, they run up and start stomping on it. And then nice. it cuts to her birthday party, the kid's birthday mm-hmm. party. Oh, before that. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah. The, the really so awkward it, shot. It cuts to, so initially when they first see the VHS tape, they start stomping on it. And then you hear Leela, the daughter off screen say, look, mommy, daddy, my friends are here. And there's a whip pan to the side. And there's a quick shot of Leela standing there and she's holding hands with a young Christy and Katie. Mm-hmm. And then it just cuts. Hmm. And then there's a birthday party and the, the long-haired dude from the cult is there. Yeah, uh, so it cuts to a birthday party. We establish that the mother in Ghost Dimension is now pregnant again. Mm-hmm. And it, so and initially, it's it's kind of like when you see the, the birthday party at the beginning of the third one. It's all just miscellaneous footage of folks going about uh, and having a good time. And then when it cuts to the sequence when they're about to cut the cake, on the right-hand side of the frame, 
the creepy dude they introduce at the beginning of Ghost Dimension comes in and he picks up, I think he picks up Leela. Yeah. And is like, oh, aren't you having a good time or something like that? And it's it's still awful that they introduced him, but at least it's like they don't like just crash zoom in on his face or something when right. he shows up. He just He's simply just there. enters the frame. So it, it's leaps and bounds the most subtle thing in this movie. So I, I, I think it's better because it's the one you can kind of almost slot into the franchise. I mean, not mm. not real well. No, it's bad. Don't get yeah. me wrong. It's yeah. just it's not a good ending, but it is significantly better. Than it, yeah, it, it's what we just got. it's not. It didn't make my brain want to jump out of my ear Fair. and hunt down the people that made this movie, <laughs> like the the theatrical ending. Because the theatrical ending is just like we got a budget. Let's do something cool. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to even pretend to make sense. So it's just, it's a terrible movie that has two terrible endings. One is less terrible. And I can see how it killed the franchise dead up until next year or two years from now. I guess it's 2021 is when it's earmarked the Mm -hmm. next one. Yeah, budget-wise, so this one had double the budget of the previous ones. This one was $10 instead of five, And this one brought in $78 worldwide. So when you factor in now marketing for these, I mean, the general rule of thumb folks say is for marketing, then generally just add the budget again. Right. Usually that's or add 100 million, I think, is for the big, big ones. They say like add 100 million. And that's basically what you're spending on marketing. So even if this was they spent like 20 million total in clean marketing, it's still it's a significant drop. So from box office, from top to bottom, first movie, 193 million, second one, 177, third one, 207, fourth one, 142. So there's where we hit a dip. Marked Ones drops all the way down to $90 million, and then Ghost Dimension drops to 78 So it was definitely a good time to take a breather. You know, at the time they sold Ghost Dimension as, you know, this is it. You know, this is the, the end of the road when it was more like the nail in the coffin. But it was, <laughs> but money-wise, it was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's time for a breather. And it's, it's funny because if you think about it, it kind of works like a horror movie, like the whole franchise. So you have the, the, the main body of the movie, and then Fork, you think, kills it. And then the jump back up is the marked ones, and then they kill it dead with this one. Yep. And I realize I like marked ones more than most people, but it's it's a decent, entertaining <laughs> horror movie. And four is a goofy trip, and six is just trash. You just don't need four, honestly. No. no watch three, then one and two, and then five, then call it a day. Yeah. And that's and that's <laughs> what I'd say. So, so when you like I said early on, you know, for me it's it's one. Five, three, two, four, six. But I think you get four good, solid horror movies out of the six. That's fair. And that feels... For a franchise, it's not bad. That feels pretty okay for a franchise. That We've talked about the rules. I don't think they're hard and fast rules. I think there's more suggestions over the course of six movies. Most of the characters are kind of awful, but you get a couple really good ones. Allie and two. Allie's great. The daughter in four, everybody that's ever on camera in Marked Ones is entertaining in some fashion. Every character is really filled out and you relate to them and, and enjoy them. Yeah. Katie as the, the franchise icon is fine. The omnipresent icon. She doesn't really do anything after the first movie, but she she shows up and she's around. She has like five lines total after the first one. Mm-hmm. You get a couple of, like I said, really good. You, certainly you have the phenomenon in the first one. And the third one is is probably, I would say, overall the best film film of yes. the whole thing. Agreed. So it's a good franchise. Like, you hate the way it ends, but, you know, it's it's not like this is all that different from the way Star Wars ended with Rise of Skywalker. 
So you get some good movies and then, you know, falls on its face. I hope I didn't lose everybody. But if you're here after three hours, well, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So I like it. Like it's a, as a found footage Mm -hmm. franchise, it's certainly, it's the most profitable one. Definitely one I would suggest to the masses. We should definitely try it out. It's got better sequels than Blair Witch ever got. Yeah. Um, Fair. The only, like I, the only found footage franchise sequel I can think that I liked as much as any of these sequels is Grave Encounters 2. And that was clever. I realized that that's a topic for another day. Look, I liked it. I know you guys <laughs> like it. I liked it. It but had its merits. It's worth saying on that front, though, in terms of Grave Encounters 2, that we're kind of unique in our opinion of the marked ones as well. Like, generally speaking, if you look, reviews on that were, were kind of harsh and we're like, oh, it's just another continuing downturn in that. So it's. We're kind of outliers in that respect. So, well, Which, to be so fair, I can't it completely is, laugh at the. It does you know. put a bit of a monkey wrench in the formula. Yeah, it can, be, it can be off-putting, and I could see why. Looking at it from a high-level perspective, you're like, "What's that? That's yeah. just so off-putting and, and, and different." But I like, like we said, we've gone pretty in depth, and it fits, and it adds to the entire genre, and it has value. Look, if the fifth movie in a franchise is worth watching. You've won. Don't shit on You've it. already won. You've already won. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's but it's also it's a good movie. It's I think it's to me the marked ones and the reaction to that and the, like the reviews I read and I read a few. It's kind of like when a band releases its reggae album. <laughs> you know, it may be a good album, sure. Maybe some quality reggae, but, but it's if, not the if, band. But you if you're there, with. but if yeah. if you know if Iron Maiden released like Number of the Beast and Aces High and all this and then put out like I said a reggae album. Doesn't, doesn't matter, matter how, how good, good that was, reggae album it's is going to get be. Tra- People panned, who are yeah. watching that are going to be like, "What is this nonsense?" <laughs> but I, I liked it. I like the franchise. I would, I will absolutely see the new one when it comes out. Unfortunately, yes. Now I will. Too. I've seen, I've seen the Mark <laughs> ones probably five times, and it's certainly I've never seen any of the I, other ones more than twice. I can safely say that there was no way in hell I'd have seen the new one until you made me watch these ones. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that was why we did this. <laughs> So, but I, I I enjoyed watching them again for the pod. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was, was fun good. going back through these movies and and taking a more critical ish eye to it. I Agreed. think it's it with a better franchise runner, they really could have done something special with some of the later movies. But you mm-hmm. you almost never get that. They were all cash cows, so nobody really cared enough to to. Write. I think you're lucky you got four watchable movies out of it. Yeah. Five, in my opinion, but it's for different reasons. <laughs> you know, it's, I I, I kind of think of this it's an old John Goodman on Saturday Night Live bit where he's talking about Soylent Green, and he's making fun of it being franchises. And at one point, he talks about, and then we had the ill-formed Soylent Stooges, which wasn't react. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of think of four as this franchise Soylent Stooges. It's just, it's just a good, like, I, it's a bad movie. I'm not in any way defending it or recommending anybody see it, but it's, it's goofiness and it's incongruity and it's just craziness is entertaining. And the, the sixth one just doesn't have that because it's beyond anything else. It's a boring movie. I want to, I want to be clear. I'm, I'm very happy you're able to delude yourself into enjoying four. It brings me joy. Well, if like nothing that. else, <laughs> when you think of the movies you've made me watch over the years, <laughs> I don't want to hear it. <laughs> episode two, retaliation. <laughs> if nothing else, you got to subject your friends to episodes or installments for and, and goes to mention again in the name of a podcast. So 
Good job. I, I, hope, you're, I hope you're happy, Jake. I, I am. I like I said. <laughs> I I enjoyed it uh, thoroughly rewatching these movies. It was fun seeing the. I hadn't seen Tokyo. I hadn't even heard of Tokyo Nights prior to this, so it was cool watching that. I may still watch a playthrough of the game just for funsies, because it's still it's it's there aren't many found footage franchises. They stopped like the second Blair Witch isn't even found footage. It's nope. just bad. Yep. And Rec- so it's, Rec did that in three. Yep. And where it had, went from starting from how footage and went directly into just footage. Yeah. yeah like, Rec is yeah. another one that had, yeah. had apparently, has, I haven't seen it, but it has a very good sequel and gives you started diminishing returns. And then you have things like Hell House, which starts bad, gets worse, and I haven't watched the third one yet. You really shouldn't. I will. Why do you hate yourself? Listen, buddy, we, we <laughs> take turns picking movies here. I would just be careful. Unless you want to watch Hell House. Is is Ghost Dimension the last movie that y'all watched for this pod for for this particular episode? Was was Ghost Dimension where you stopped? Because on, on my own, yeah. Because I, I, I watched something else. So remember the first pod? Oh, did you watch the offshoot one? Remember the first pod where I spent eighty minutes of my life wasting watching a god awful sex comedy in the name of research? Yeah. Well, when you look for paranormal activity online, oh, did no. you watch the? the, oh, the you also off? get paranormal activity. Oh my. <laughs> um. Which is free on Tubi, I believe. Um, I assumed it must be a licensed sequel. They did the Japanese one. This must be they wanted to do the, you know, get into erotica. So I will actually watch this. And no, I'm not going to go off on it. It is absolutely abysmal. Um, The highlight of it is it's shockingly well shot for a straight to video (laughs) um, sex, but it is like sub Friedberg and Seltzer or sub Latter-day Wayans Brothers, like parody movies. It's, it's awful. It's all just incredibly lame sex jokes. I just need people to know at home how much I'm trying to do (laughs) to entertain you. (laughs) Please make this mean something. (laughs) What Eric is saying is please like, and leave comments on whatever service you're, uh, downloading this from because we'd appreciate it and he watched paranormal activity <laughs> and you owe us but also <laughs> we we genuinely are interested in your thoughts and feelings what we had to bring you today what are your thoughts on the movies what are your thoughts on our comments and opinions on the movies we'd love to hear from you and your your involvement can only add to this experience so that's that's paranormal activity four good movies one catastrophically bad one and one and then that- the sixth one and then one that we uh, <laughs> diverge opinions on. So we'll be back probably in a month or so with this another rate, podcast. Yeah. We haven't quite determined what's next, but we've got some good stuff coming down. We're probably going to keep with the format of a bunch of theme movies that we go to. And I realize this is going to be close to three and a half hours, but we appreciate you sticking with us. And we're probably going to keep doing deep dives. I hope the sound sounded better in this one. We've got equipment now. Upgraded. Yeah. So, any parting thoughts, Eric? Uh, no. Do you want to hear my pitch for the seventh one, real quick? Absolutely. Okay. So yeah. So we got another one coming. So I I compiled this while I was watching the rest. So my pitch was so we got Paranormal Activity. So I got two titles I'm stuck between. If I really want to sell this to the studio, I want to call it Paranormal Activity colon Extermination because that's what the priest <laughs> the priest the line. priest says that in Ghost Dimension. He says this isn't an exorcism. We need an extermination. So it's like oh we gotta call it that. <laughs> But the other one I'm going by is The Shook 7 because um, I want to bring in seven characters and pull from each of the previous films to form our own Suicide Squad. 
So from the first movie, we're bringing back Amber, the crafting friend of Katie's from the previous Not movie. the psychic? No. Oh, no, we're going to get to the psychic. Um, <laughs> uh, well, there's the demonologist who we, who we don't see. So we might bring in the demonologist later. I haven't, yeah, I haven't settled on that yet. But we're bringing in Amber, They're the actually, friend. Real quick, they made a, a comic book at Johan Avery's. Yes, apparently. did you read it? I did not. Uh, yes, I did. So real quick side note. Yeah, IDW made a tie-in comic before the release of the second movie. It was a digital comic. You can get it online for 99 cents. It's not particularly good. It's from the perspective of the demonologist investigating, you know, the aftermath of what Katie did in the first movie. And it's, it's just a tease, basically, to hopefully set up future comic uh, sequels. So for, for my pitch, so we got Amber. And the bead friend from the first movie. And she's got the beads that were left behind in the house after Toby was there. So the beads are now magic. So, <laughs> so we got that. I'll show you how the beads come in in a minute. I got this all planned. We bring Martine back from the second one. She's our Yule Brenner for the Magnificent Seven <laughs> that we got going here. She, she's the one who kind of assembles. We got Allie, who's the daughter from the second one, who was already in five. We bring Randy back from Oh, hell yeah. Oh, absolutely. And Randy, come on, Randy. <laughs> and so... Then from the fourth one, we're bringing back the cat. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. From fifth one, we're bringing back Arturo. Is it the cat with no name? It's the cat. With, I just have him in there as the cat. So okay. <laughs> nice. um, we're bringing back Arturo from the fifth one. Again, not a confirmed kill. And then from Ghost Dimension, we're bringing back Skylar, the yoga friend who vomits up. The, because again, she pukes up black goop. Not a confirmed kill. That's true. Kills fair. Kills the recipient, but we don't know that it kills the receiver. Very true. And my structure. I don't even for know this, that he's dead. Technically, we just know that his face is yeah, melted. He, yeah, you yeah. probably all busted up. <laughs> <laughs> and so you mentioned Rise of Skywalker a little bit ago, and that's my template for this movie. Is I want to go full, <laughs> nonstop barrage of MacGuffins. So we start. <laughs> so it's all about the various characters coming together and they're trying to track down item to item to item to lead themselves to Toby. So we got Amber and she's got the beads and she's got the magic beads that can tell where Toby is. But to get the beads, they need to get the Ouija board. So they <laughs> the got to go. Ouija board? Yep, they got to get the burnt Ouija board. So they go in to get the Ouija board and the Ouija board leads them to the cat. And then once they find the cat, the cat leads them to the fort that can tell the future. So now they can see where Toby's going to be at points in time. And they use the fork to find Randy. And Randy has now found the camera from the ghost dimension and he's dissected it in the intervening time and he's turned it into a filter. And so the stick of this movie is that you go back and using this filter, we can replay all the images from the first four or five movies, counting marked ones, and actually see the ghost dimension style footage of Toby in action in all those movies. Because I just want to see shot after shot of just Toby lying on the on the couch from the second one, or you know him playing the Simon game in the marked one. So we get to see all the innocuous, boring things Toby was doing. That's what I got so far, but I think I've got enough string of bullshit MacGuffins leading into each other that I think we can I think we can make this work. Oh yeah, no, this is perfect because you get you get the knife. Yep. From, oh, we can get the knife from yeah. the fourth one. That's You've important. got the the Bible from Ghost Dimension, the one that gets half burnt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or the tree topper. Tree topper. Oh, tree yeah, topper is a, a good. must. Yeah, it's a must. I, yeah, no, I, I like this idea. I think this oh, is oh, perfect. Pool cleaner. You got to have the pool oh, cleaner. Oh, yeah, the pool cleaner. <laughs> All right, we'll bring <laughs> pool, pool cleaner for sure. It seeks revenge. <laughs> oh, so, so wait, we got a knife. We got a fork. We got you a could have, You could have the dead fish from Tokyo Nights. We can have the dead fish. Oh, I thought about that. It was like if, if we want to cycle out someone from Paranormal Activity 2, we can bring back. There's the girl, Mai, in the Tokyo Nights one who's the Esper who gets all sick That's when right. they bring her in. Yep. So, so I have her on here as a maybe. So I want to stick to seven for the Shook Seven all as right, a title. Yeah, 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 it's the seventh one in the franchise. But, but yeah, we, we, we got options. In Mark ones, you got to bring in the shake weight. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's how they win. That's <laughs> their lightsaber. <laughs>
Oh, my. Well, I think on that note, we're going to call it. Absolutely. Nick, any final thoughts? One through five are great if you skip four. For the love of then God, not really don't watch five. four. <laughs> I stick to my original order. I really enjoy the franchise, and it's a shame what I've seen them do to it, and I have zero hopes of the new one coming out. <laughs> if, if you want to, uh, after listening to this, if you want to follow along or you want to take breaks and watch the movies yourselves, there's a pretty good deal on Amazon for a Blu-ray that's all six films for like 16 bucks. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty cheap. It's worth it. It's got the extended car, the alternate endings. There's no commentary tracks because who would admit it? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So that's, that's us signing off. I'm Jacob signing off for Nick and for Eric. We appreciate you listening and we'll be back in a month with something else. See you next time. Bye-bye. Be well. Hello, it's Eric again, broadcasting from post-production land. Just wanted to say thanks again for listening to episode two, and we hope you enjoyed it. In addition to the platforms we mentioned on episode one, our show is now available on iTunes. So if you like what you heard, feel free to subscribe there and leave us a review, which we greatly appreciate. Future episodes will be released on the third Monday of every month, so episode three will be released on March 16th. We'll be discussing the movie Underwater, released in 2020 and directed by William Eubank, and we'll be discussing other aquatic-themed horror movies alongside it. We'll be announcing the full lineup of movies on our Instagram page at instagram.com slash scarystuffpodcast, and also on our Twitter feed at twitter.com slash scarystuffpod, so feel free to give us a follow there. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you soon. Bada da